wondering if it is if it's a flag, is it a word, what is it? Maybe the AI algorithm you and you that you support that country for Olympics. Let's see. So, but Cal, why do you have the U.S. flag? Because that's that's the first flag that it sees. I I I put in the different locations using the flags. But I'm I'm also a U.S. citizen, U.K. citizen, so I have both flags. I can swap it if it makes you happier. I can put a U.K. one. You know. <laughs> Oh yeah, Florida, Florida, the Zimbabwe one, Carl. Florida, oh, I can, yeah, I can put Zambia. Yeah, I can put Zambia or Kenya. I've got, you know, I've got flags, man. I got flags. <laughs> He's got flags <laughs> in his jacket. I got flags. You, the one you want, I can bring it out. Two for one. Flags on Tyler, I have no flags. That's right. I'm flagless. Okay, you have TNATW. Right? I'm I'm flying the TNATW flag. And. That would be kind of cool. Like, I guess I could do the UN flag. It kind of has like a world in the middle of it, I guess. Yeah, that could work. Okay, one more minute to go. Oh, now it's top of the hour. We got a Tokyo train style. I need a train Let's sound effect. Do this. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. So, top of the hour. Top 10 news stories at this very moment. Here we go. And uh, let's see. Let's and let's make sure we hit some political news first. Uh, Justin, are you on stage now? I don't see you. Not yet. Okay. Let's see. Let's get Justin up here. Cal, did I mod you? I did. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. Keep an eye out for Justin. He says he's popping in here in a second. So anyway, um, the biggest news item at this very moment, according to people on Twitter, because people tweet on Twitter. And they share links. And then I have this very crafty tool that tells me what are the most shared links on Twitter. And then I can sort those by tech stories. So then I can see what are the most tweeted tech stories on Twitter. It's very clever. And this, and now we're going to show the top 10 most tweeted tech stories on Twitter. <clears throat> and Justin keeps DMing me saying that he's on stage, but he's sitting quietly. And I, I beg to differ, Justin. I don't see you on stage. So, um... The top 10 stories at this very moment. Now, just because they are the most tweeted doesn't make them the most important or the, or even the most interesting. They often are very important. They often are very interesting. Some of them are. Some of them aren't. But after we do the top 10 top stories that your cousins and coworkers are tweeting to each other, then we go into the actually the most important and the most interesting that they miss and overlook and have to do with where things are going in the days, weeks, and months to come as we typically do. And that's where it gets really fun. And you can participate in that because all you have to do is send out a, if you find an article that is, that you think is interesting, you tweet it from your Twitter account and you include our Twitter account, which is T N A T W. Look at my photo. If you can't spell, and then you can tweet your tweet with our Twitter handle in your, inside of your tweet. We get a notification and then we can, you know, bring it up and share it here. And if you think it's particularly interesting and you felt like it was overlooked somehow, just jump in and say, hey, I've got a, I got one that people should know about from my part of the world, geographically or professionally. That's what this is all about. That's how it works. Make sense? Any questions? No questions. OK, well, let's do this. Top no story. Huh? I said no, Dad. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Top story 
of the day is Twitter is testing a way to downvote replies. Um, to downvote on iOS only for now, not Android, to understand the types of replies users find relevant to a conversation. And these downvotes won't be public, but some people, some lucky doggies, are now going to see um, the ability to, you, you have a tweet. Under that tweet are what are called tweet replies. So if you've ever had a friend who had a tweet or somebody on Twitter, and then you thought, you know what, I need to let them know something in response to this tweet, you can reply to their tweet. Everyone has that. We've been doing that all the time. And now the replies to the initial tweet can be upvoted and downvoted by some people. So if they think that the reply is good, they vote it up. If they think the reply is bad, they vote it down. And that, of course, will have some impact on which of the replies get more visibility, just as they do in Reddit. This is nearly identical to what happens in Reddit. And it will have interesting effects on Twitter. But they're testing out a few different styles of this, as you will see if you go to our Twitter account, because right now I'm tweeting out the link to this article so you can see for yourself what this looks like. And it's dab nab it. It's not letting me tweet it again because I tweeted it earlier today. So I got to find a different variation of this same story like this one. Here we go. And then the it, you can vote up or down with like arrows, up arrows and down arrows or a thumbs up and a thumbs down or a heart and a non-heart. So they're just testing out the user interface uh, to see how this works. And props to our friend Jane Wong in Hong Kong, who was, as usual, found this feature. She, she's always the first to find all these new features on Twitter and everywhere. And when she found it, she said, hey, Twitter's testing this out. It's coming. It's happening. And one of the, the key people on that team who's doing that, in fact, the key person on that team who's doing that at Twitter, said back to Jane, because everyone at Twitter knows Jane, it's kind of an ongoing joke inside of Twitter. Inside of, yeah, they send her, you know, uh, gifts and stuff in the mail, and they said, actually, you know, we're testing all kinds of things uh, in this regard of getting more feedback from users about how they feel. Because right now, when you read the replies to tweets, they're sort of done chronologically. Like whoever replies first, they're on top, and then whoever replies after that is below them. And sometimes those replies are totally stupid, just like YouTube comments. And sometimes they're totally brilliant. And it would be nice if the brilliant ones were moved up to the top and the and the stupid ones were kind of buried at the bottom. And And I think YouTube is doing that as well with their replies now, where they let people vote up and down the replies or like the replies. Anyways, it's very helpful. I'm glad they're doing it. And it'll encourage people to leave better replies because... If you leave a good reply, you'll be the top reply and everyone will see that. And then if people think you're a really clever replier, they might follow you on Twitter. And so now people are incentivized to leave really sensical, smart, intelligent, witty replies and disincentivized to leave stupid replies because they get buried. And after a hundred times of having the replies buried, maybe they realize to themselves, you know what? Maybe I'm a dipshit. Maybe I'm a jackass. Maybe I should just keep my opinions to myself because everyone seems to vote me down whenever I say stupid stuff on Twitter. And that, I don't, maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I'm not so sure, but we'll find out because they're certainly testing it out. And that's the top story of the day. So on to the next big story. Number two is California Department of Fair Employment and Housing has sued Activision, 
Blizzard for sexual harassment of and discrimination against its female staff. And long story short, video game giant Activision Blizzard, maker, maker of incredibly huge games like World of Warcraft and Diablo, fosters a frat boy atmosphere, and the ladies at Activision are sick and tired of it. So the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing is now suing the company for sexual harassment and discrimination against the female staff. It's pretty much as simple as that. And we'll have to wait and see how that court case shakes out uh, to see if the ladies win or if the California Department of uh, Employment and Housing wins on their behalf and what kind of fine they might uh, give, what kind of penalty. And um, no doubt there's going to be a lot of really interesting testimony uh, in there. Uh, because the witnesses, meaning the female employees, are going to spill the beans and it's going to get weird. It's going to get wild. I mean, it's going to, well, we'll see. No, that, that case is coming up. So that, that one's going to be one to watch. Next, any, any quick comments on that one? Anyone know anything about Blizzard, Activision, going what? Johan, what do you want? What do you got? The uh, thing, uh, thing is, I sent you a DM that you need to handle with delicacy. Yeah, I sent you to it on Twitter. Just now, it I got it. it. Yeah, it need to be handled. You need to do it in some way. I can't find out. You see why you what, end up. What, what is the horse list? Uh, that was, I didn't call it the name it actually had from the Greek mythology. Huh? The Pegasus. The Pegasus. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, that they are on it. Yeah, handle that with care. They okay, for sure. What degree of certainty do you have? Uh, absolute. Oh wow! I have. Wow! I have. I, so I, I did pull quite. Yo, a few, I, I did quite pull quite a few of your names. Right. I couldn't find anyone of you with the names you have here, at least. Okay, so Johan sent me because Johan is in the cybersecurity space, and he just sent me. He just discovered an incredibly important individual in Sweden, who is, he knows as a friend of mine, who is on the Pegasus list. Wow. Wild. By the way, I don't know whether you guys noticed, Johan is day by day becoming like a Tim Hawkins voice. Yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah, Johan, what, what, why is that, that sometimes your voice sounds like you're using a little child's microphone? Uh, it's my head, headset, this yeah. is a, a working, work rig, it's not a, an ordinary one. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, it's a, a, a different one. Okay, so now I I'm, I'm, uh, have to figure out... Well, I just got to ping my uh, high-profile friend here and let them know that they are on Pegasus, and they might not know that, actually. They're not a super obvious target, but uh, it's not a surprise either. So, um, wow. Thank you for that, Johan. I I will tell them. And what else do we got? So we did the top two stories of the day. The third biggest story of the day is that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, formally pledges to fight unlawful right to repair restrictions, saying it will use its power to lower repair costs and support independent repair shops. Thank goodness uh, we're finally seeing some sanity here on this issue. I don't know about you, but I feel like I have the right to repair the products that I buy. Anyone disagree with that? Anybody going once, going twice? Anyone want to try and guess what somebody who might disagree with that? 
<laughs> feel about I can I, tell I you. don't disagree Tyler but I uh, I mean the, the one thing that I'll say is if we're going to repair them then we should lose our warranty at least yeah and but that is how it is today um right to repair right to repair right to repair yeah or at least have authorized service centers do it you know you have to have some authorized technician that's how it is party. now yeah mm, mm, mm. it's such a sticky but, but if, you th- if you think about a car though if you buy a new car you don't have to bring it back to the dealer for you know maintenance you could go to an, another place and as long as it's done according to whatever the standards are then it, it does vo- void, void the warranty yeah the yeah, Tesla? after the warranty period. Yep. Okay. So next big item is Grinder has a track record of saying that data shared with brokers is encrypted and unidentifiable despite the use of such data, <clears throat> which recently outed a Catholic priest, which we covered yesterday. So this is not a surprise to see this in the news again today because yesterday, the Washington Post and the New York Times and the BBC and the New York Post had an article that said senior U.S. Catholic resigns over Grinder allegations. And for those who don't know, Grinder is a dating app or a hookup app for the homosexual community. And yesterday, the Washington Post said, yeah, a top U.S. Catholic church official resigns um, after his, his after obtaining his alleged Grinder app and phone location data from an undisclosed data broker. And so naturally, some um, investigative journalists contacted Grinder to find out, WTF, how did this happen? You know, uh, somebody who's a member of your community, you know, got outed. You outed somebody who, this is really the worst case scenario in, in the area, the commonly stated worst case scenario in the area of data privacy is that people who have Terminal diseases get outed that they have them. They would rather that not be known. People who are transsexual or homosexual get outed, which, you know, they've, they've not come out to their family and friends and co-workers, and then they get outed. And this is worst case scenario. So how is it possible that an app that caters to, you know, the homosexual, transsexual community is outing its own users? Huh? That makes no sense. So the investigative journalists, you know, are digging on Grindr to find out, you know, what's going on. And the headline is Grindr has a track record of saying that data shared with brokers is encrypted and unidentifiable, despite the fact that this same data was used to out this Catholic uh, priest. And it turns out that, yeah, Grindr says it's unidentifiable. But if you follow tech news around the world every day, you know exactly what happened because this story came up about five days ago where unidentifiable information means, ah, your unique identifier inside the phone isn't shared. But like some code, you know, that is used to identify you, like your IMEI number inside of your phone is what's being used. But it turns out there are reference tables that you can go to and look up who is the name associated with this code. And it's incredibly simple to do that. It's like looking up a phone book. It's like I need to, in the old days, there was these books full of phone numbers. And if I wanted to know Cal Patel's phone number, 
there was a huge book full of everybody's phone number listed by last name and then first name. You look up Patel, P, okay, Cal. Oh, there he is. Oh, there's his phone number. Now I know Cal's phone number because it's a book that references everybody. You have the exact same thing digitally with looking up, oh, I've got everybody's IMEI number, which is, it's not their personal identifier. It's just a code that references their device and it's not personal information, but I can use that code and go over to this table, just like a phone book and put in the code and bada boom, there it is. It's Cal Patel. Well, now we know who was at the gay bar. It was Cal Patel. So it's grinders. Yeah, it's actually a lot easier than that. If I could find out which model uh, and about what make and what, what version of iOS Cal is running, I can actually pinpoint him and actually narrow down his EMI number as well. So it's incredibly simple, even though they're claiming it's unidentifiable number. It's a complete, it's total bullshit. They know it's easy to look up. This is really dangerous stuff. And grinder, the the commute, the grinder users themselves need to kind of stand up against this. They're being bamboozled. They're being outed. <clears throat> How much blackmail do you think has happened using this mechanism? Oh, a ton. A ton. You have to wonder if the if the priest was not, you know, reached out to in advance and be like, hey, we just found this out. Like, uh, how, you know, how's a million dollars sound? I mean, you know how many influential people can be outed in, the, in that way? Oh, my goodness. That's and that's you, you want to talk you want to talk about valuable information, like outing somebody who hasn't, you know. That doesn't want to be outed. Oh my God, that I, that just makes me sick to my stomach. Tyler, the the more I listen to tech news around the world around this data, you know, the more I'm falling in love with China. You know, it's just a. It's I know. A, <laughs> hey, kudos. Yeah, you know what? Ding, boom. I, and we say often, hey, you know what? There are few. There's few countries. There there probably is other than Sweden, very few countries who actually understand uh, this these issues the way that China does. China understands data. And, and to the detriment of many people, but and to the benefit of many people. But credit where it's due. Uh, China's not uh, flawless. No country is. And they certainly have their faults. But they certainly understand the power of data. They and the out- thing is, that, there's another layer to this. I mean, I know when we say and when we say good things about China, there's a lot of people on the audience probably thinking, you know, uh, all their human rights issues. That's not what you're talking about. I think, like you said, you know, what you're talking about here is that but what is uh, the world is exposed by this uh, innovation and all the way we are pushing the data is that we realize what a domino we built in the Western capitalism, you know, and it's all becoming, you know, unscrambled in right in front of us. While you have India and China, they have the next 20 years to get this shit right. Right. So all of the shit that U.S. is you know, done or the Western world is done, you know, uh, I think India and if they can and China, if they can really use this opportunity well. They can really make sure the data is, you know, um, uh, so I think that's what it is. I think you've got to give a kudos to China and uh, um, hopefully the we India do. is heading the right way. Oh, we regularly do. I mean, and don't don't get us wrong. We give China more shit than anybody, uh, but we just call it as we see it as best. Call as we it can. like we see it. And sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they get it wrong. Just like the U.S. No, just there's like a, there's just, a flip side to that. Tyler. Just by the way, mm. just like Israel, just like Russia, just like everybody else, we're calling it from the geek perspective. From the geek perspective, you gotta ad- admire China's uh, way ahead of other countries in their understanding of the power of data. And yes, they use that against uh, the Chinese people uh, in negative ways at times and in positive ways at times. And, but we're just saying they understand it. And that alone is impressive because 
very few countries do at this point. No, I, I was just going to say, Tyler, one thing around that, I mean, Brandon might out you to people around you, but uh, the same example applied to China. They'd out you to the CCP. Which one is worse? I couldn't hear what you said, Faraz, sorry. I said, um, in, in certain instances, for example, Grindr might out you to people around you or, the, or, or your community in certain countries. But, you know, regardless of my supporting different countries in China, they'd out you to the CCP or various other. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, that's part of the social credit system. Yeah. Is there, you have neighbors telling on each other. China is strangely. China is very tolerant of homosexuality. It's believe it or not, it's not a right. stigma like Correct. in some places like Dubai or the UAE. Fair point. So, um, well, thank you very much for that comment. But you should visit down here and see some of the things in terms of certain communities. No, I, I, and, I go to Dubai every year, but I'm, I'm just, and again, I'm just pointing out a fact. It's it's pretty stigmatized. Your, your point's more about China, which is you're right. Uh, being gay is not an issue in China, uh, essentially. So. Um, uh, next biggest headline we've got the next one up is that the Biden administration promised to review Section 230 in response to anti-vax posts on Facebook will fail since being wrong online is protected speech, which is an interesting point. So this is from The Verge. It says last week the White House declared war on anti-vaccine misinformation on Facebook's moderation system. President Joe Biden said that Facebook and other social networks were, quote unquote, killing people by hosting false information about vaccines, although he later softened the attack. Facebook disputed the accusation sharply, promoting its vaccine efforts. And yesterday, the Biden administration hit back with a troubling and unnecessary promise that it was reviewing Internet law in response to misinformation. Uh, and then this journalist says, I want to be clear, the White House's vaccine push is a good thing. American COVID-19 cases are abruptly rising as the virus's Delta strain spreads. Uh, fewer, fewer than half of all Americans are fully vaccinated and nearly all recent U.S. COVID deaths have been among unvaccinated people. In a significant number of Americans report believing theories like the U.S. government is using the COVID-19 vaccine to microchip the population. Yeah, it was in fact, uh, what did we say? 20% across the board believe that uh, people are using COVID to chip people. 9% of people who got the vaccine think the U.S. is chipping people. 50% of people who haven't got vaccines think that the government is chipping people. But on average, 20 across the board. Anyway, so an idea that's literally made up and wouldn't even work. Companies like Facebook help spread these theories, even though they're also promoting trustworthy content. That's true. They You get both. And... And election officials can urge companies to stop doing something that's harmful or even illegal. But the White House hasn't spelled out the last part of the equation. Instead, it's offering blurred lines between reasonable guidance and unreasonable government crackdown on condoning the idea that Facebook should be illegally accountable for false claims. Because then that's heavy duty shit if they're accountable, like what's happening with Twitter in India, for example. In an interview with MSNBC about anti-vaccine information, White House course communications director Kate Bedingfield responded to a question asking if Biden would change Section 230 to make companies liable for punishing, for publishing that information and then open to lawsuits. And she responded that we're reviewing that and certainly they should be account held accountable. The idea that Section 230 is holding back a crackdown on misinformation is, well, misinformation. According to this journalist, Section 230 protects against lawsuits involving illegal content and 
anti-vax information is not technically illegal content. Well, there's one way to fix that, <laughs> which is to make it illegal. Um, with limited exceptions, the First Amendment allows people to lie and be wrong online. There's nothing for the Biden administration to review unless they believe one of these three things. Vaccine misinformation falls under existing First Amendment exemptions like defamation or fraud. Vaccine information is so harmful that it should be made illegal. People should be encouraged to punish Facebook for hosting bad but legal content by making it fight frivolous lawsuits that it will almost certainly win. So I think it's number two. I think they might make it illegal to spread misinformation and then Facebook would then be responsible. That would be my guess because France seems, well, it's going to get, it's going to get crazy. Or as the, as well, the, the thing is, Tyler, isn't there yeah. like a, there was a, a data a couple of days ago, there's 12 people uh, spreading the 60% of the anti-wax and, you know, Correct. all this false news. It's not be easier just to target them just to, you know, at least, that's sixty percent out of the, you know, straight yeah, away. And, no, I, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense in a, in a way. However, that you're you're gonna open up a powder keg and a can of worms by doing that because those particular twelve people, the misinformation dozen, are highly influenced influential people. I mean, the reason I say that, Tyler, is that every single time when we hear something like this, if it really genuinely means something, you know, you do with action, right? There seems to be a lot of talk around. They so will check do this, this out. They will do Here, here's how you solve it, uh, Kieran. Those misinformation people have fans, right? And they're basically telling their fans something that can likely lead to their demise, which is don't get vaccinated. And then Delta comes. And by the way, their fans are disproportionately older folks. We're talking about Fox News, first of all. And so if Fox News is telling their base, their viewers who are age, who are the highest in the age category of nearly all publications. So you already have, you know, seniors as your main demographic and you're telling them don't get vaccinated. Uh, you might not have viewers next year. So you might want to rethink that strategy. So what it is, uh, let me give you an update on what's going on in UK, uh, Tyler. So uh, just to give a perspective. So basically, everything is back to normal. Uh, you know, uh, all the, you know, uh, it's such a strange place to walk around in London. It's so packed. All the shops, all of the protection barriers are uh, taken away. No one's wearing masks, uh, except a few people here and there. Everything is packed. Clubs are open. The bars are open. Restaurants packed. Yet, you know, the hospital is, uh, you know, and I have a lot of uh, medical doctors, you know, being at Imperial College, so we work with a lot of the hospitals in London, and they're all panicking. And a lot of the doctors are even saying they don't want to turn up to work anymore. You know, they are really worried about uh, the way this is being handled. So it's just something going on, uh, Tyler. It's, it's just, it's really strange, uh, you know, when we got this Delta, Lambda, you know, um, already there's a 40% vaccinated people are heading into, you know, hospitals um, already. So it's just, uh, I, I just find this, uh, I think we've got a bigger problem than, you know, all this, uh, you know, false and, uh, news spreading. Um, it feels like there's something else underneath is going on uh, because I just don't see any reason, justification for UK's being opening up the way it's opened up. Um, so yeah, that's the update from London. Kieran, okay. I can I can give a little feedback. I go. Hey, Chris, go ahead. You there? Go ahead. Chris, you had to unmute yourself. Sorry, I had music playing like and I it was playing. I didn't know if it was playing over as I was talking. I apologize. Um, but Kieran, I, the one push, not pushback, but I, I just think 
people don't think that everyone thinks binary. Like we don't think we don't we think black and white and we don't understand that there are always varying shades of gray, you know. And I, I think that's the problem is that they, they just we all look for an authority and we expect that one authority to be infallible and to have all the information. And when they don't, because that's just the facts of, of life, um, you know, we we tend to either outcast them if they're wrong one time or um, idolize them if they're right one time. And, and I just think it's a, a challenge that human beings have to be able to critically think that's what's unique about this room we're all critical thinkers we all take the time to listen to what each other says and don't let our emotions get in the way and that's what makes this room so special at this point in time you know all of us have this kind of like a rational like okay i have my opinion but i'm going to listen to you um and actually listen to you so i apologize if i got in the way and made some noise on the radio but no, that's no, how no, it no, no i think you make a great point my my worries i got three kids um, who are 12 10 and uh, you know six and when the government, I'm terrified, man. I am. I have three, two, and like there's 2,500 cases here in LA in one day yesterday, and yep. it's probably going to be three 3,500 today. So my worry is that one day, you know, trying to shove, uh, you know, under 18s to be vaccinated when you have already, you know, we have issues with the, you know, uh, people who's already been vaccinated. That's the first thing. Second thing is, look, the UK is a special case. There was a guy called Dominic Cumming. You know, he used to work with um, Boris Johnson, our prime minister, on all of these decisions was made during that COVID. All of that uh, things, the plans, you know, how things should be done. And now he's coming out in the last couple of weeks uh, saying that there was a time that he wanted to get rid of uh, Boris Johnson, uh, you know, you know, right after that he won the majority. And a lot of the decision that it was taken, the way it was taken, I think there was one point apparently Boris said that let the 80, over 80 die. I mean, it's just people who are dying are over 80. What? We don't need to worry about it. Why people are making a big fuss out? You know, people over 80 are you know, dying over it. So when you have something like that coming out from the right hand man who spent, you know, three, four years getting a prime minister elected into, a, into the power, you know, you need to start thinking about your children. Right. Do you think that he cares that, you know, if he can say if over 80s are dying, why are we making a big deal out of it? That's when. He was, uh, after a couple of weeks later, he realized he made a mistake and he went into the full lockdown. How can you trust these people now? So the point is that, you know, sometimes, yes, I agree. You know, in, by looking at history, yes, uh, you know, there are things that we had to sometimes be bold and, you know, go with it to get on with the life. But sometimes you have to look at the leadership. What's the agenda, right? So to me, that's where my worry about UK. You know, when there you have a leader, leader which clearly said that he doesn't mind if anyone's over 80 dies, let it be. You know, what's a big deal? I think that to me is my concern when it comes to under 18. Okay, so also the vaccine hasn't been approved for young children yet either. So that's a, a risk that we all face. So the next big story is uh, Bloomberg now says they have sources in the continuing drama of Didi, which is the Uber of China, which went and did a New York IPO against the wishes of China. By the way, this is a wild story that's been going on for several weeks now. <clears throat> and now there's an update. This Bloomberg sources say China sees Didi's decision to go public despite regulator pushback as a challenge to its authority and is considering unprecedented penalties, including possible delisting from the New York Stock Exchange. Ouch. 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 Wow. Crazy, 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 crazy. So to unpack that story, that's a, this is a huge story. So Didi is the Uber of China. They're delivering everything, all the people and all the food, you know, a lot of the food and everything else. And they decide we need to go do an IPO in America, in New York. Why did they do that? That's a whole other interesting story. And it might have something to do with the fact that uh, it, one of its main investors is SoftBank from Japan. 
who's very best friends with Alibaba. And Alibaba was doing a big IPO with Ant Financial, which got shut down. That IPO got shut down by the Chinese government. And that might right after that IPO got shut down, that was in January. And next thing you know, SoftBank's other big investment in China, which is Didi, says, you know what? I think we want to go IPO in New York so our Japanese investors and American investors can get their money out of China real fast. And they tried to go do an IPO in New York. And one week before they're about to IPO, China taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, where are you going? Not so fast. No, you don't. You're not going nowhere. And they said, oh, yeah? See you later, buddy. We're running for run. Get in the chopper. Go, 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 go. IPO in New York. They're trying to stop us. They're trying to stop us. Let's go do this. And they went and they did it, even though China told them not to do it. And they did it. And they IPO'd. And then 24 hours later, China jumps over the ocean to New York, just clear over the Pacific uh, or the Atlantic. They could have gone either way in that case. And then meet up with Didi in New York and say, I, we told you not to do this. Now we're doing a, a big audit and we're doing a big security investigation into all your data and snooping all around and going all up and down shutting you all up and down and got you all bound up and now the headline from bloomberg is that china sees Didi's decision to go public despite their uh, request to not do so they see it as a challenge to chinese authority and is considering unprecedented penalties, including delisting them from... You thought you could have a party while we went on vacation to you... celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the CCP, didn't you, Didi? I see what you deeded there. You see what you deeded? I see what hey, you did. Hey, deeded. Hey, <laughs> hey, Tyler, if they force the delisting, it has a lot of uh, collateral consequences. First of all, when they, when you, when they, they delist, Didi's going to have two choices. They're either going to have to, in an SEC filing, acknowledge the truth that the Chinese government made them delist because they're going to, you have to give them a reason for delisting. Okay. Or they can lie about it. And that's a, that's a crime in our country. Okay. That means you'll never get back if they, if, if the, our, if the United States determines that they lied to the SEC in a filing. So, and, and I also think it has consequences to other Chinese companies that maybe like even Alibaba that are, that are listed here, you know, um, it's, you know, do they have to put that into a risk factor now? You know, because, if, you know, the risk of delisting is a risk for an investor. Usually you only see it in companies that are financially deteriorating. And yeah, I mean, and I've seen that, I've seen it many, many times, usually not off the New York Stock Exchange, usually on NASDAQ, where, you know, they tell you, you know, we may get delisted um, because of their, you know, financial weakness and then and the pink sheets or something. So it has a it has a lot of connotations to it. It's a very big deal, um, you know, if the Chinese government forces that. Yeah. So it's um, yep. CNBC and Reuters, think, Tyler, and Bloomberg all Tyler, covering that. Yes. Tyler, think about that story. Is that uh, you know when we talk about uh, top? So you're talking about what the ten cent was the biggest hit, right? So since uh, April uh, to now, they lost about two hundred seventy billion in market cap, um, and Alibaba around one hundred seventy billion. Metuan is about 120 billion. Pindua about 90 billion. You know, you got this. Uh, what is it? Koshu and then uh, JD.com, Baidu. Combined, they, they lost about 1.2 trillion since April, since that decision. What does that shows you about? They don't give a shit about. You know, um, I think they have a. They see a. You know, you know. When we think about China, we always think about how they're careful with money, and it's all about money, making money, and and they wouldn't do this just to bring it one and a half trillion dollars. Uh, in three months, uh, if they didn't take this very, I think they're very serious. And I don't, I don't know anyone. I don't know anybody accusing China of just being focused about money. I, I think people accuse China of having power, wanting power. 
<clears throat> I think Absolutely. you're right. They don't care about the money. They care about the power. And and that's why they're, this headline says that uh, they see it as a challenge to their authority. And so they're going to make an example of them to discourage anybody from ever attempting to do the same. And we saw other headlines recently that they're now forcing these big tech giant companies uh, to how they store their data and how they organize their data in a way that's very friendly to the state. And they're even forcing Alibaba to open its data so that they get merged with a state company so that the state can use Alibaba's data, which is all of the payment history of every Chinese citizen, to develop a credit score for Chinese citizens, which no doubt they'll merge with the social credit score because your actual credit score could impact your social credit score. And they'll likely add in DD's data to that too, because where you went might have something to do, you know, if you go to the wrong places, that might lower your social credit score. If you go to the right places, it might improve. It's going to get super, super interesting. And they're even setting up what they call a data warehouse, data marketplace, where all of these big tech companies are going to have uh, exchangeable, make it easy for the data to be transferable in a way that the government's able to overview and and utilize and manage all of the data of all the big tech companies, which would just continue to consolidate power at, at the head of the government. And, and by the way, doesn't this make Trump's concern on TikTok look correct? Yes. I thought, well, that, yeah, but it was. I mean, geeks already knew that it was. Geeks know that TikTok that data that TikTok has in the U.S., there's military personnel making TikToks on military bases that are not publicly known military bases. There's all kinds of stuff that's going on in TikTok that that is benefiting that 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 shouldn't be in TikTok, and it's uh, the it, the fact that it it's really sensitive stuff, and and that's why India kicked it out. And that's why China kicks out all non-Chinese apps. That's why no American apps are allowed in China because they're worried about the same thing. And, you know, so it's, yeah, that's what you're going to start seeing. And we talked about it many times before. You're going to see countries doing, you know, their own apps and they'll allow apps of other countries that they're very friendly with, but they're certainly not going to allow apps from countries that they're not friendly with for fear that apps can extract tons of data with microphones on, with cameras on, if, you know, heaven forbid they get a, a notable influential user within that country, they can that, that data can be very useful. So, Matt, what, what if, for example, uh, you know, Joe Biden's at dinner with some senator and the senator's kids have TikTok and they've got the microphones on on the app? But what it matches now, uh, Tyler, after Pegasus, what does it matter after matter. Pegasus? Yes, that's a good yeah, point. I mean, <laughs> and and what does any of this matter considering uh, the the servers have been hacked uh, on a physical level in between the circuit boards, right? That's funny. So next big story is there's an app uh, called Club Hoose. Club Hoose, Club Housey. Clubhouse <laughs> is no longer invite only as it exi- exits beta and says that 10 million people on its wait list will be added to the app over time. The app going wide. Clubhouse is going wide and and they've got flags and it's called Clubhouse. Anybody heard of this thing? Is it does it work? What is it? You, have you Cheryl, flag. have you used it? I, I, I'm seeing new flags on my profile. Oh, is that the one? 
I think I think you're using it. So the next big story is Google rolls out backup for Google One. So all your data can be backed up, a unified Android cloud backup that syncs all of your app data, your messages, your photos, and more. There you go. Pretty, pretty handy little tool. Concerns, next big story. Concerns over China's online influence campaigns overseas, while valid, are often overblown as there is little evidence to show campaigns are actually working. Because <laughs> we make a lot. So this is the headline from a tiny little outfit called Just Security. And... Wired has a similar headline today that says China's hacking activities are increasingly resembling those of Russia and North Korea after the Ministry of State Security largely took over operations in 2015, which is the MSS, which is in China. Ministry of State Security is the, the Chinese um, the, yeah, Ministry of State Security. And Wired is a very big publication um, with fantastic journalism. And they say China's hacking activities are increasingly resembling those of Russia and North Korea. And we actually said that ourselves because I was actually a little surprised when it was re revealed that um, China was behind some of these big hacks recently. They seemed very Russian in their nature. And so this headline to me, makes I was thinking the same thing, that the, you know China's hacking activities are increasingly resembling those of Russia and North Korea. Exactly right. But uh, this security blog called Just Security says that the concerns over Chinese influence in their online influence campaigns overseas, which means when they try and spread COVID misinformation in the U.S. and stuff like that, which Facebook's head of security has said that they do. Um, it says, while valid, these concerns are often overblown as there's little evidence to show campaigns are actually working. Well, the fact that half of America is not vaccinated might kind of argue to the contrary, but... Oculus rolls out uh, a new update adding Facebook Messenger. Um, it already had Facebook Messenger inside of Oculus, but now they have Facebook Messenger reactions and a new security settings and a new invite into the app. So when you're playing inside of Oculus, you can invite other friends to join you in that game and make it easier to invite friends to play, just like you ping in friends into Clubhouse. And you can ping friends into Clubhouse right now by hitting the little plus button in the bottom right-hand corner. And if there's anyone who's an expert on any of these headlines we're talking about, just ping them right in, have them raise their hand, jump on stage and let them share their, you know, brilliant insights about whatever it is, you know, they're an expert in either geographically or professionally. And that's how it works. But now you can do the same in Oculus. And who knows, before you know it, some of us might be in, if Clubhouse makes an app for Oculus, some of us will be in Oculus and we'll be able to wave our hands at each other and have kind of full body motion and all that kind of fun stuff. So that's not too far off i suspect facial recognition. Tyler, may i add something really quick to go that? for it jt um so one thing that was missed from that is that oculus um the new update 31 they're actually adding also something called uh experimental pass-through api for mixed reality so uh, they want developers to start uh, creating ar apps so they're trying to combine vr and ar into one uh, device which is going to be really huge moving forward Okay. Thanks. So they don't they yeah. don't have AR at the moment. Right. And then Mahogany just sent me in a link from CNN that says the door is closing on Chinese tech IPOs on Wall Street. It seems kind of mutual that uh, the Chinese companies should no <laughs> Chinese tech companies no longer belong. Exactly. Yeah. It's like China doesn't want <laughs> them there. America doesn't want them there either. Let's just uh, we're decoupling. That's what's happening. DD drew attention to how Beijing may respond to Chinese tech companies doing US IPOs. Now, 
there is also a very real possibility that the U.S. moves to restrict new listings by Chinese firms, right? Because if this is what's going to happen when Chinese firms list, we don't want them. That's just a whole bunch of headache. No, thank you very much. No, so, the feeling is mutual. Mutual. Yeah, the feeling is mutual. So um, what else do we got here? Next big story is facial recognition company Clearview raises 30 million Deary Series B amid legal and ethical concerns with new investors requesting they not be publicly identified. Clearview is currently the target of multiple class action lawsuits and a joint investigation by Britain and Australia, and yet just raised $30 million. And we did a whole, that's from the New York Times, and we did a whole big, we spent half of our, our last meeting seven hours ago, essentially centered around that whole point and all of the, it's a whole interesting area, the, the, the whole area of uh, facial recognition. There is so much more to that than meets the eye. And if you were here, then you know what we mean. But um, if you weren't, join us in our other time zone. Click on the title of the room where you see we meet twice a day. In our other time zone, we often go into this issue of facial recognition in, in very deep ways. Um, that are truly fantastic, I have to say. Uh, very enlightening indeed. And But it's a very, very long conversation. Um, next big article. Magic is a startup which provides a SDK for developers to implement a variety of passwordless authentication methods. And they just raised a bunch of MIDI by my very dear friends at North Zone in Stockholm. And this is indeed one of the technologies that investors want to invest in right now, which is passwordless authentication methods, just like Facebook Connect or Google Connect. But what if you don't use Facebook or Google? Then how do you log in without a password? Well, that's where you need a unique, uh, you know, uh, decentralized solution that isn't tied to any one platform that can work on every platform. It kind of plays like Switzerland amongst all the other tools, and that's Magic. That's the name of the startup, a San Francisco-based startup that builds plug-and-play passwordless authentication technology, and they just raised $27 million from... Tyler? Yes. Could I just add a little bit to that very quickly? Sure. It's from the gentleman from Reddit, yeah. uh, Venus Williams' husband. Yes. He's one of the investors, and also Alexi. it's for... Yeah. It's also for crypto wallets. Yeah. So he's also really trying to be game-changing there, which is pretty powerful. Is he... Oh, he's one of the investors, yeah? Yeah, he's one of the investors, but also, you know, he's really, really vocal on his stance on Twitter in terms of his wife being African-American. He's very, very community-driven, very similar in some ways to Jack. Yeah. You know, he, he's got this very strong humanitarian thread through him, so I'm quite curious to see how, how, this, how much input and how much attention he how much he's going to want to be really deeply involved in it too uh-huh he does a quite a bit of investing to be fair so next big article facebook hides the tag vaccines kill from searches uh which uh, displaying a message that says it is keeping our community safe we sorry we are taking down your hashtag vaccine kills because we want to keep our community safe and this is happening two years after Instagram hid the same tag. Which uh, does beg the question, why did it take Facebook so long to remove the hashtag vaccines kill? Uh, people are using that hashtag to share articles with each other about their belief that vaccines kill people. And that is certainly probably results in people not getting vaccinated. And... 
but now Facebook is hiding the tag, probably because of the pressure from Joe Biden, when Joe Biden said Facebook's killing people. <laughs> the saddest part is, you know, you're, you're seeing stories that as some of these un unvaccinated patients are being intubated, they beg for the vaccine and they get told, like, that's not how vaccines work. It's not like a shot that's going to it's not a cootie shot. Right. And and that's so tragic. Yeah, somebody we were in, what, what, we were in a room yesterday in the med tech room where nurses often people who didn't get vaccinated, who are dying of covid and are on ventilators often ask to get the vaccine and they have to explain that's not how vaccines work. You were, you know, it's too late now. And that's just I think that needs to be videoed with permissions from all involved and made into a commercial. So because. Uh, uh, yeah. This is your brain. This is your brain on crack. On, on like those types on of commercials, man. Yeah. These are kind of, yeah, it's kind of like that. Uh, the Americans know the reference he's referring to, um, the egg in the frying pan video that all of us will never forget who grew up in the 80s. <laughs> um, yeah, that's funny how we all remember that video. If you grew up in America in the 80s, you remember that video. That That's kind of a great point, actually. Um, so... The next big article, Uber Freight to acquire uh, TransPlace, which makes transportation management software from TPG in a deal that values TransPlace at $2.25 million. And this is to help the transportations of good autonomously across, uh, you know, interstate lines as we continue to do more and more e-commerce of all different kinds. Spanish police have arrested a UK citizen named Joseph O'Connor at the U.S. request. So he's being extradited to the U.S. from Spain as a UK citizen over his alleged involvement in last year's hack of high-profile Twitter accounts like uh, Elon Musk and uh, Bill Gates and several others. And even, I, I believe, Joe Biden. Let's, let's open up and they'll remind us who all was the victims of that hack. Yeah, it, it was Joe Biden also, by the way. Went on that story, if people read it, it was a low-level hack. It wasn't like sophisticated technology. Right. It was it, a social engineering, called, yeah. Yeah, they they called up and they made believe they were other people. They convinced the Twitter employees they were someone else. You know, right. That type of thing. Yep. It's called social engineering. It's not technical hacking with code. It's, as he says, like uh, you figure out a clever way to get somebody to reveal their password, essentially, or... Um, leaving a thumb drive in some next to somebody's car in a parking lot, and then they start using it, and then you get into their computer that way. That's kind of a hybrid social hack. So, um, a lot of hacks are is are social engineering, um, like this, and that's how this one was done. And now that person's in jail, doing some finger painting. So the next big article is that Visa buys Currency Cloud, which sells software for banks and fintech companies to process cross-border payments in a deal valuing the UK startup at about a billion dollars. And this is Visa is going on a buying spree with these startups. My goodness, it's like every, once a week, Visa's buying a new startup. And I, what I say is good for them, as they should. They still have a lot of money. They still have a lot of power and they need to get into this fintech game ASAP and start buying up all of the best fintechs, especially the ones that they can help bring to more higher levels of prominence and influence uh, because their traditional business models are now being challenged fundamentally. 
and also Tyler, uh, if you, uh, I think we covered that earlier. In India, also, it's helping Visa. A lot of the Mastercards uh, being stopped. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the banks, local banks, cannot use Mastercard to issue any new uh, credit cards. That's so correct. A lot of the company they just been moved into Visa now. For example, I think RLL, one of the biggest uh, card issuer there, they literally um, just moved the entire card to Visa now, uh, which takes about five to six weeks. Just imagine once you move, it's very difficult to move back. So the MasterCard is losing a lot of ground in India. So it's, For uh, sure. in, so Visa is, Visa is pretty much taking over that. Monica, you have a thought on this being in India and being very familiar with the credit card game? Yes, uh, Tyler, I know that RBL, by the way, <laughs> this. Um, so the inside news is that RBL had already signed up with Visa a long time back. So all these uh, deals that are brokered typically over years. And the account manager who did it um, as well is an ex-MasterCard employee. So I know him very, very well. I'm sure Aaron has also known of him. Um, so this didn't happen. The timing was such that it just looked like uh, unfortunate timing where uh, the deal cracked through and RBL was able to push literally uh, to sign on the dotted line and uh, what they're doing right now is to implement uh, the connectivity with visa so they should be ready in about five to six weeks uh, at the bare minimum uh, maximum it would take anywhere between eight to twelve weeks and they should be ready to start issuing uh, visa cards uh, but i don't think anything will happen to their current base but uh, this current visa acquisition that you just mentioned i think this is going to be pretty huge uh, because from what i understood and i'm still trying to understand why visa would buy this company I think Visa is really trying to spread its wings in the EU and they're trying to buy companies that will offer something niche. This one, though, I haven't ever heard of it. So probably I have to do my own analysis around it. Uh, but Visa is definitely in for an acquisition spree and you should be hearing about something similar in India where they've opened up a new program where they're actually looking after and going after some fintechs. So that should be launching anytime soon as well. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh... I can, if you want, Tyler, yeah, I can go, Aaron, add a go, more. Go, go, go. Yeah. So I've actually used these guys before Currency Cloud. I've, I've worked with them and I've actually implemented their APIs. Um, I, I kind of, in a way, like Monica said about trying to work out why Visa are doing this, I feel sad for the fintechs. I really do because they've, they've gone out there and they've built some really cool technologies, some really cool APIs that are, you know, it's cloud-based, it's forward-thinking, it's future-proofing. You know, it's very clear to me that these are MasterCard. I mean, when you listen to Jack Dorsey and when we, we listened to Elon yesterday and Kathy Wood about building the next generation infrastructure, you know, the, the decentralization, the blockchain, like Visa MasterCard's infrastructure is 75, 50 years old, right? So they're going to have to retrospectively look to plug this, you know, modern technology of currency cloud into it. And, and those that understand, you know, a .NET infrastructure, the back ends that, you know, this isn't going to be easy for anybody. And I, I feel I feel a bit sad for some of these fintechs that are getting acquired by these guys because they're, they're selling out the tech, but it's just going to get consumed into this huge organization and it, and it won't be that well implemented. Like the currency cloud that I used will have disappeared and someone else will come along and just build it more modern and plug it into a blockchain because that's where the future is going, not on a 1975 or a 1950s architecture. So, and, uh, Monica, staying on India for a second, the next headline reads uh, from Reuters, India's antitrust regulator accuses Amazon of concealing facts when it sought approval for a 2019 investment in a future group unit, according to a June letter. India's, uh, uh, yep, that's the headline, <clears throat> that they were hiding facts w that when it was seeking approval uh, for an investment in a future group unit. Any, is that making any news in India at the, at the moment? Have you heard that one? 
geographically and professionally and so the issue here is that Reliance is one of the most powerful companies in India and it's a mega company right similar to Google in a way where they've got lots of different things going on yeah uh, yes Tyler I think uh, that, that's one of the things we talked about right a couple of weeks ago. and another thing you need to but, but, uh, but, but, let, but... Let, let me see if I if I understand correctly that Reliance is this huge super yes, powerful absolutely. domestic Indian company and they don't like Amazon coming into India and competing with them and so, so unlike and hang so on let me, let, hang on let me see if I got this right so Reliance is also because they're domestic in India and they're probably friendly with the government and so between Reliance and the government they can kind of make things difficult for Amazon to compete with whatever Reliance exactly. wants. Exactly. So unlike, unlike any other countries, uh, Tyler, the thing about Reliance is that they're deeply entrenched with the political system. And that's been for the last hundred years. So it's something, it's not, it's not like US, the, the way the Amazon is a lobby to the, the government, the influence. It's not the way it works. It's literally over a coffee behind the scene. You know, uh, so it's, it's just been deeply, deeply. If you look back in the last 70 years where the family started, it's a deeply into the political system. So so like I think we mentioned this about three, four weeks ago. Is, you know, I think the government is just using, you know, reliance as a poster child uh, to play all of that stuff. And, and there's another interesting thing going on, Tyler, the last uh, couple of days in India, which is this. There was a famous uh, Bollywood actress called Shilpa Shetty, and her husband was uh, recently arrested uh, about four days ago because he made a porn. Um, uh, so basically he had this app where he registered the company in uh, UK because of the law uh, locally doesn't allow you to upload data or any content which is uh, pornographic in nature or an adult content in nature. And he's been playing that loophole, uh, which is still not proved yet, but there's a big thing going on, which has been purely driven by the political from all the way from Modi. I think there's something going on because in a country like India, it's a very Hindu uh, certain religious uh, dominated, right? So certain kind of a uh, story doesn't go really well, especially when it comes to wo against women, like pornographic. So he's playing that card, even though that guy might not have done what he's done. But the way the uh, he's playing the modi into this is that they are making this uh, uh, pornographic uh, adult content in India. They are going away by registering the company in UK. And then they are selling, making Indians watch those pornographic and making money out of them and shipping the money out of UK through their you know, offshore accounts. So it's a big thing. So they are actually going after everything in a multi front. So it's quite an interesting thing to you know, keep eye on. That's also been a breaking news in the last couple of days. So, so Reliance has, you've said now for decades, been very deeply tied with the Indian government. So uh, even as powerful as Amazon is from the US, 
they're just no match for whatever Reliance wants to do. They're going to come up again. What it's a, a very difficult company to. It's a fish among sharks. I mean, it's very difficult. I mean, it, it's a. It's literally it's pretty much a China done in a very democratic way. That's what's uh, and, and, and one additional thing: Modi is Gujarati, uh, Mukesh Ambani is Gujarati. Those Gujarati connections are deep. Uh, the state of Gujarat, that is, they come from there, and uh, um, and and uh, in a sense, and a lot of people locally in India may not be able to say this. I can say this uh, uh, from you know there there are you know the opposition talks about it and other people, but. It's uh, uh, effectively helped Modi become prime minister, right? Uh, at the beginning. Oh, and, Reliance uh, did. It's just uh, Mukesh Ambani. Yes. Yeah. So Reliance is. Uh, oh, that. Yeah. So Reliance is so Absolutely. powerful Absolutely. that they helped put Absolutely. Modi in power. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, oh and Jesus you can go Christ! Look, look for stuff on this. You can go look for stuff on this. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I, I get now. Now I understand. Yeah. Like that. That's now. You now you're helping. That that's helpful. So that's why reliance. Very powerful. Can be, very powerful. So uh, now I understand because the article, if you read it again slowly, it says that India's antitrust regulator is making problems for Amazon, and India's antitrust regulator, in some ways, indirectly, is controlled by Reliance. So Reliance has an unfair advantage in that that they have the government on their side. Oh, absolutely. They're the Amazon of India, that, right? That, that, <laughs> that is what they were selling to us when they flew. I think I mentioned it a few months ago when we're talking about retail in India. They flew over the management team of Reliance. They wanted Best Buy to come and do business in India. They flew over in their jet. They came over uh, uh, meeting with me and Brad. Um, and they said, we know India. We can make everything happen for you in India. In not so many words, they effectively said, we can open up the entire political system for you. And I said, oh, hang on. You know, my work with the U.S. India Business Council representing retail, you know, you guys are not opening up the retail sector, et cetera. I said, no, none of that matters, man. You do a deal with us, it'll all open up. Literally, that's that's their game, right? So, you know, they, and so I don't Am think they would yeah. like... Amazon's you know, going I mean, in their guns blazing solo without without any kind of partnership with Reliance and Reliance like listen that's not how it works here. That's that's why these startups are starting to look at um, the civil engineering companies right because they have that long established relationship the Bechtels of the world the builders of the world have the um, you know the government ties I, that we learned that here this is such an informative room Tyler. So Tyler if you if you recall once a couple of weeks ago when the uh, or maybe months ago now when when the initial twitter back, uh, stuff started happening me and Akil were in here with this thesis and Monica was in here as well and this is exactly what we were referring to where uh, that reliance is playing some role in the the beef that with twitter Anyway it's because nobody outside of India knows reliance yeah I mean maybe in the bordering countries but they play i mean americans and so the thing is tyler it's not it's not just in india i mean the reliance reach uh, really uh global i mean you know they, they do have a lot of strategic investment in uk and but in terms of home ground there's nothing that can go through them it's pretty much it's not just uh, built over the last 20 years you're talking about hundreds of years of uh, history and just like what uh, cal said political influence is, is so powerful you know the, the kind of uh, uh, the influence they have. It's, it's very difficult. It's not the politics that you see in the so, US. Or in, you know, as Monica said, this this journalist who wrote this article might not even know that. <laughs> the, 
So there's much there's more to the story that you only get from locals on the ground, which is... no, they, no, they do, they do. But the thing is, if it's a local, pro, uh, you know, journalist, they will get a knock on the door by a police, and, and you don't want to end up in a, <laughs> no, 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 you don't want to end up in a they, they lay flat, they lay no, flat. No, you don't want you know, you know one of the things if you watch Bollywood movie and one of the things that is very real apart from the rest of the singing and dancing is that is the police station. You know when they arrest someone, they take you to the <laughs> they, that that is a that is a real shit. <laughs> that is a real shit. So, Guys, yeah. uh, just. Just to add a little bit of context, um, um, Facebook invested $5.7 billion in Reliance's Geo. That's their telecommunications company. And now you know why. Uh, yeah. So Saudi Aramco and Reliance are partners. So all the big guys are partners with Reliance, including certain defense companies. Because well. because Facebook, somebody told Facebook, oh, you want you think you're going to go into India? You're going to need to do some kind of partnership with Reliance if you plan on staying there for any amount of time. Makes sense. So there's a thing. There's a thing in there. there's a, just to break it down culturally, you know, there's a thing. If you want to go to Sri Lanka and do business, there's a thing called the president's brother. It's called the twenty percent man. There's nothing you can do in the country without giving that man twenty percent somewhere in an offshore account. It's called the twenty percent. You know, you twenty percent man. And same thing in India. It's, it, there is a certain things you have to go. In the structures in place. It's just the way it is, uh, Thailand. Yeah, I'd love to just you know, unpack this, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a Facebook and all of these guys. You know, they will realize. That the control is, you know, is with reliance. It's not, you know, they can go Got all it. gun blazing okay. every shit, but it's just it will stop at the reliance level. Okay, so uh, Tyler, just to add up, Tyler, yes, here, just to add up on reliance has already registered a e e visa company or something of that in Estonia. So just looking forward. What, for say it again. In Europe, so, what did they register? Uh, Estonia. No, Estonia what did they register? Uh, they registered some kind of a uh, company. I mean, Estonia, you can register from anywhere. Like e-money license. It's an e-money license. E-money license. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for us. And uh, Reliance just bought uh, a company called Just Dial, which is one of the oldest startup in India, 25 years old. And this company have a listing of around 20 million uh, businesses around India. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, other big headlines at the moment, uh, index ventures, uh, just closed a new $900 million early stage fund, a 2 billion growth stage fund and a 2 million siege stage fund giving index $3 billion in new capital. It's largest yet. That's huge. Index is one of the world's leading funds. And they're basically one of the, du one of the ones that handle both uh, London and the Bay Area, uh, where their offices are located. And um, then the Washington Post is doing a profile on the NSO Group, which is the company behind the Pegasus uh, app that is now being um, talked about endlessly because it's basically found its way in, into the phones of uh, all the uh, interesting people on the planet, the prime ministers and presidents and kings and princesses and all kinds of interesting folks. And so the profile of the NSO group, which has been hailed as an Israeli version of Silicon Valley's success story as its founders defend their spyware operations. It was a proposition that w would change everything Two 20 year old Israeli uh, entrepreneurs who had been running on and on so you can i'll tweet this out so you can read this profile to learn all about the nso group and their origins um no doubt Tyler, yes just quickly um you know we haven't looked at it one of the angles uh, like on this whole nso thing um i was looking a lot more deeper into it that you know 
One thing I think it would expose is, you know, Israel has got, you know, obviously historic linkage with some of the governments, and obviously we know that. I mean, the, one being the U.S. and the rest of the countries. Um, you know, two of the countries, um, you know, we couldn't have actually thought of that, that they would have, you know, access to this kind of technology. So f with Modi, we already understand that. that India has got very deep um, intelligence relationship with Israel. Um, but Saudi Arabia and UAE. So two of the stories I was looking at, it like yesterday, we actually, actually today we discussed it, uh, uh, Prince Latifa thing. Now that's UAE, and France can actually shed more light on it. And that's the UAE government actually tapping into um, his own daughter to actually, you know, recapture it. And the Saudi side is that, uh, you know, Khashoggi's wife and the, uh, um, you know, the fiancé uh, phones were tapped back in 2017. So it's been going on for so long, but how could the Saudi got hold of the actual software at that time? And the UAE has been doing it like for the like, past three years, um, and there was no diplomatic relation. There's still no diplomatic relation with Saudi, but yet there are some governments um, which were able to actually get hold of it, and Morocco being one of them since um, it's been tapping into you know, the French president. So that's another angle on the diplomatic side that, you know, some of the governments are going to be kind of like uncovered, that they have some sort of relationship with Israel. So that's like a very, you know, interesting angle to this whole, you know, unfolding. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Can I make a prediction, uh, Tyler? Yes. So this, um, this thing with the NSA um, and all of that uh, stuff that we heard about how Saudi Arabia is... Uh, been hacking, you know, Hasohi's. Uh, I think what I, what I'm really surprised is that how this thing hasn't blown out of proportion. There's, there's got, there's a lot to this, but somehow it's been very much controlled in terms of, you know, how deep this is. Obviously, you know, I'm just looking forward to the next couple of weeks to have some kind of a certain conspiracy which to distract us from this because this is so deep. Um, you know, there's so many people around the world. I know for sure that you know, in certain countries, you know, Sri Lanka included. They, there's a lot of stuff has been done by using this technology, and it's very deep. It's it's worse than Panama leaks that we had, right? It, it really is. What, but what is really surprising is that how much has been controlled and how it's not really you know blowing apart. Um, so it's it's, it's it, to me, I'm fascinated how this is actually you know the the very fact that you know some of the stuff that we've seen, but how someone like you know Hasohi is being tapped, his wife has been tapped in order to you know all of and and uh, and for Macron, you know he he was uh, on the list. And uh, look at, uh, for example, the, uh, the Middle East, you know, the girl got kidnapped um, from the uh, uh, UAE, um, uh, the, the prince uh, or the king's uh, daughter, right? Yep. So all of these people who's, so it's, it's far deep and it's, it, it's not, it's not it's, what we're really hearing is just a scratch of the surface. And I'm just really surprised how this, this whole narrative of the story has been controlled and it's not really being on the, you know, uh, it's blowing apart. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to something to, it's going to happen over the next couple of weeks to distract us from this, so we can literally forget about it and wash away this thing. Because if this shit really get exposed, there's a lot of people in trouble. It's already happening in Israel. Ice cream thing. Oh <laughs> so yeah. All the... That's this is this to me is really kind of interesting because where did it go? I have got the headline right here, and there's a whole bunch of these headlines that <laughs> Ben and Jerry's um, decided to stop selling in. The West Bank um, in the occupied territories of Palestine, and then Israel now threatens legal action over Ben and Jerry's boycott. The Prime Minister, uh, 
Naftali Bennett spoke to Unilever CEO Alan Jope over the phone, calling the boycott a glaring anti-Israel measure, despite the fact that Ben & Jerry's is still willing to sell in, in tr traditional Israel. Um, Israel threatens legal action, and you know it's now they're calling it uh, uh, terrorism, and it's kind of getting a bit crazy. And the, the State Department is even making a statement and all of that. Now, what I find interesting about this is that the State Department is willing to make a statement over uh, defending Israel in, an, in a, in a kind of squirmish over a U.S. company, and the State Department is taking Israel's side in that skirmish over a U.S. company. But what's, what's interesting to me is that the Israeli spyware company, Pegasus, is infecting lots of interesting people in the U.S., and not a single U.S. politician has made a single comment about it. That's, that's my point, uh, Tyler. And the other thing is, Tyler, you know, this, uh, the ice cream story you're talking about. So basically, all they're saying is that the company, the ice cream, is that, you know, the local distributor contract is expiring in a couple of years and we're just not going to renew it. That's pretty much what they're trying to do there, right? So it's pretty much what is, uh, the Israel is saying is that, no, you know, you can't do that. You can't let it, you have to renew it and you have to continue. So it is a, it's, it's, it's a lot of shit heavy-handed, you know. I mean, if a company is saying that, you know what, there's a, there's a local distributor that, uh, you know, uh, we are using, uh, the contract is expiring and we no longer want to, you know, we let it uh, run out and then we're not going to renew it. I think the company should have the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, you know, to be able to have that uh, choice to do that, right? So that's interesting. It's again, you know, how heavy-handed this thing is. Um, hmm. The, the, yeah, it, but I just find it amazing how silent all American politicians are on the issue of Pegasus. Completely, utterly silent. It's silent. It's one of the biggest stories of the year, and not a single tweet from nobody. And then, so Tyler, just and, wait and, for a and then hang on. And then somebody won't sell some cookie dough ice cream. And next thing you know, the State Department's got to get involved. Uh, what? They, they, that's the distraction, Tyler. That's exactly my point. The point is, Tyler, just wait for the next couple of weeks for Chinese and Russia to release something. You know, because they, this, this is like a blood and a, you know, snakes. So, you know, they, they should be a lot of fire to this. And it's not. And I'm sure there's going to be a little bit more. Someone will stir a little bit more up just to give a exposure to how big this thing is, um, York, which I'm waiting for. That's the New York Times professor Asif sent in a story from the New York Times, who generally do their homework and check figures that the coronavirus pandemic in India so far is likely to exceed 3 million, nearly 10 times the official death toll, making one of India's worst human tragedies in history. A new study reported on Tuesday, uh, India's true pandemic death toll is likely to be well over 3 million. A comprehensive effort to estimate excess deaths in the country during the pandemic produced figures 10 times the government's figures. Ouch. The thing is, so, uh, Tyler, if you go into South India in the middle of the night, um, so, you know, I, I go to Chennai a lot. Uh, if you go in the middle of the night in South India, if any of you go there, you see on the street how many people actually sleep. Um, you know, I'm talking about pre-pandemic, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a country that, you know, um, if you go a little bit outward, the amount of people on the street and the people who leave their rural villages to come and work and how they live, the numbers that, you know, um, uh, it's coming out of India, it's just, I mean, I think it would be even, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, three, you know, more than three million or, you know, close to three to five million. It, it just, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I feel it's more. Oh, more than that even, huh? Yeah. Okay. So um, the other big headlines at the moment is that blockchain startups raised a record $4.38 billion in Q2, which is up 50%. So blockchain startups are still getting 
a big boost. And quarter over quarter, a nine-fold increase from last year. Nine-fold, that's a lot from last year. And fintech startups raised $30.8 billion, up 30% uh, quarter over quarter. And let's see what else. Other big stories. The Cyberspace Administration of China passed an order banning minors from appearing online in live streaming ads, online courses with vulgar content or more. No rudeness, no cute kids, uh, and no violence, no fan frenzies, and no smutty emoticons. No no, um, eggplant emoticons and no peach emoticons. That's interesting. <laughs> I did not know that. Beijing fines and warns big tech groups over explicit content. China watchdog summons Tencent, Alibaba, and others for child-related obscene content. China bans children under 16 from appearing in live streaming and online video content. And you're asking yourself, well, how would they know if a 16-year-old goes into a live stream? If somebody's live streaming in an app and a 16-year-old goes in, 16-year-olds are banned. How would they know? How would they know? Well, they do know. Here's how they know. Because if you want to use a live streaming app in China, and there's several, but it, to turn it on, the app has been told by the state they must have a, a very thorough onboarding process, which requires the user to do facial recognition. Where they do facial recognition, they show their state ID, they show their home address and their bank account and everything, their mom's favorite cookie recipe and everything. So if you're going to live stream, they have everything about you and your relatives. Because if you say something that hurts dear leader's feelings, they're going to come have a little chat with you shortly after they turn off your live stream midstream. And if you try and bring anybody into your stream who hasn't been also uh, been identified through facial recognition, then this foreign face gum comes into the live stream that the algorithm says that isn't an un unrecognized face. It's not part of our algorithm. We don't know what that face, whose face that is. The live stream ends. And so now basically 16 year olds will not be allowed to authenticate inside of the app. So it's actually a very simple thing to do. They just remove all the 16 year olds who are in the app and they're not going to be able to participate in live streams. So kind of a simple thing to do, but it does highlight the how efficient China is with all of these data issues, um, as we mentioned at the top of the hour. So, and uh, Tyler, there, there's, a, there's a Wall Street Journal article today, on I don't know if you discussed that, is a, how, I think they did an experiment. They did an um, experiment uh, with the, like opening of a thousand accounts to see how TikTok algorithm actually, how, you know, uh, how it makes it so customized, uh, what do you see? And, uh, right. and th they were mind blown by, you know, how it starts with, you know, if you think of it as a, you know, each individual starts with a bucket of 5 million content, it will show you at the start, then it narrows it down to almost about 100,000 videos because it's learned you so well, it doesn't need to, you know, uh, go and look for that 5 million to 10 million, you know, uh, videos that you need to, you know, pull out from a bucket. It's just a fascinating how it is. Uh, I think they were so way ahead, the TikTok, I think the algorithm, the, the AI, the way it's been deployed, it's it just, uh, it, I mean, if you, it, it's just mind blowing, right? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal uh, today. Uh, and when I looked at it, I just think, you know what, I'm just definitely not going to let my children ever again on any of the social media platforms. Mm. Okay, so uh, a couple of more big ones before we get into the more interesting ones. Um, a poll of 750 tech workers, half are at least somewhat interested in joining a union. 
that's a quick summary of that. And then things are kind of changing at the big tech companies where a poll of uh, many tech workers and half say they want to unionize. That could spell very big trouble for a lot of these uh, big tech companies. And other big headlines is that YouTube says it will test a new feature that will allow viewers to shop for products directly from live stream videos, starting with a few creators and brands. Just as I've been predicting for about three and a half months now, you're going to start buying products through the videos, specifically live videos, as I've made and perfectly abundantly clear repeatedly because that's where the money is and it's already been happening for several months in fact over a year here in asia where live streamers are selling all kinds of crazy stuff around the clock and yes you can sell products in social media in asia through photos and then you realize you'll sell more products if you do short videos and then you realize you'll sell more products if you do long videos and then you realize you do even more sales if you do live streams and that's why everybody in asia is live streaming around the clock of all kinds of products all the time and now you understand why it's not a surprise and why i've been able to predict with a hundred percent certainty and been screaming like a madman this is coming this is coming this is coming 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 your way it's already here in asia it's wildly insanely popular here in asia and now here's the headline today youtube says it will test a new feature that will allow viewers to shop for products directly from live stream videos, just like they do in Asia. And now it's just arrived a year later in the West. So there you go. So why is it, why is it Tyler, is that Pinduoduo is, a, is six, seven years ahead of this uh, game, right? So yes. now that China is completely taming it, and yeah. why the West is now going following that path without learning, trying to understand what the lesson that, why China is so scared of, uh, you know, uh, how the Pinduoduo was uh, you know, doing in this space, because that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to copy what Pinduoduo was yeah. uh, well, doing there, in China. There, there's more to it than that. The real thing they need to be concerned about, China is concerned that the tech companies have gotten too powerful. <clears throat> and that's why they're cracking down on the big tech companies, because they realize, oh, shit, these tech companies have more data about our citizens than we do. They potentially have enough power if they decided to. If Jack Ma and Pony Ma and the other tech CEOs got together, they could turn over the government. That's the government's biggest threat in China. It's not the people, it's the tech companies that have the power. You know, China doesn't really have any enemy threats that could overthrow the government, except for the big tech companies. The big tech companies did have the power. Jack Ma, not necessarily on his own, but if he did get together with the other big tech companies, they could pull off something. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's what they had a lot of power. So China realized that and said, ah, shit, we actually have something we need to nip in the bud and get under control here at home. And they cracked down on these big tech companies and all the CEOs are now at home doing finger painting. So I they, mean, that's it. Wasn't tech responsible for the Arab Spring, you know, or, or, or partly the. To yeah. partly responsible for that. I mean, you, largely Twitter, responsible for that. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter, very notably, and Facebook to some degree, when it went through the Middle East, did exactly that. Yeah. So, 
China cracked down on the big tech companies. They get to look into all the data. There's nothing hidden now from the government. The government realized, ah, shit, they've got all this data. And we didn't actually know what they had in this data. Oh, my God. You've got everything they've ever bought. Holy shit. That could be really useful information. You've got everywhere they've ever been. Oh, boy, we would love to have that information. You've got everything they've ever said to anybody. Oh, sweet Jesus, we would love to have that information. So when they realized that these tech companies had all of this data and the government, credit to the government for realizing how powerful all this data is. <clears throat> when they realized how powerful all this data is, it scared the shit out of them. And then they forced the tech companies to crack open all the servers so that it's all transparent to the government so that they could, you know, you're not going to be able to use that data against the government in any kind of way. And the U now here's where it gets interesting because of it's just starting in the US where these platforms are not just um, little apps for you to share photos with your friends. That's Instagram. How to share little photos with your friends or Facebook. How to, you know, give little updates, you know, that you're having a great weekend with your friends. And TikTok is, you know, you dancing like a jackass for your friends. But they are about to become something much, much much bigger than you ever imagined. They're going to become bigger and stronger and better than Amazon because Amazon's where you're buying a lot of your products now in e-commerce. However, you're spending all your time in the social media apps. You're not spending hours on Amazon as a form of entertainment. You're spending your hours on YouTube and TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram. And they're now going to sell you the products directly. There's now going to put a buy button, just as YouTube just said in this headline right now. It's, this is a few hours old. YouTube says it will test a new feature that will allow viewers to shop for products directly in the videos. So you will no longer need to go to Amazon anymore because you're going to watch the video about the product of the person opening the box and showing you everything about the product way more than Amazon ever did. And you, the person looking at the product can say, yeah, look, I'm going to turn it on right here. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to do all these things that you were never able to do in Amazon. And now this little product you were looking at, you can understand it five ways to Friday. And they put it on, they try it on, they rub their hands all over, they smell it. They tell you what it smells like. They rub it on their face and they tell you what it feels like. You know, and they very perfectly describe this product that you would want to buy. Why would you go buy it on Amazon when you got a photo the size of your thumb? So all the transactions are going to move over to the well, the photo slash video slash live streaming apps. And of course, the smart creators are going to do it in live streaming. But here's why this is so powerful, because when a platform today, you've got cities and cities have shops. And those cities have power because they have a lot of shops. But those shops are moving from uh, the little streets in the town into Instagramville and TikTok land. And they're moving their businesses. They're closing down the shops like they did during COVID. And they're reopening their shops in TikTokville and Instagram land and Snapchat land. Snapland and TikTok land is where all the shops are going to reopen. And then TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram and YouTube are going to have a hundred million mom and pop shops. And then that gives them incredible power versus the governments because they have all of the business of America is now on their platform. And then the governments realize, ah, shit, we don't have any power in negotiating with these apps. They've got all of the, you know, mom and pop shops by the nuts. And they could, you know, 
partner with Mexico and move everybody to Mexico. And they digitally move all their businesses to Mexico in 48 hours. Anyway. So now, and they'll take crypto. <laughs> where they take crypto. They move into El Salvador taking Bitcoin. So those are all the big stories at the moment. Let's get into the interesting stories, shall we? Because there's a ton of them. Anyone burning with a hot, interesting story from their part of the world geographically or professionally before I get into the endless tweet of interesting tweets over the past 24 hours? I have to. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so the first one being from MIT, um, new face mask prototype can detect COVID-19 infection. The sensor technology could also create clothing that detects a variety of pathogens and other threats. Uh, engineers at MIT and Harvard University have uh, created this, which will detect COVID in 90 minutes. And it is just an add-on to existing masks. And uh, um, yeah, it is like a use and throw uh, pregnancy test slip kind of, a, kind of a technology. And the second news that I have is uh, a black-footed ferret that, um, that was um, an endangered U.S. species uh, and has been dead for more than 30 years, has been brought back to life by scientists. Um, you can follow these both uh, news on my Twitter. I think I've got this story right here. A ferret that died in 1988 is brought back to life by scientists. For the first time, scientists have cloned an endangered U.S. species. Meet black-footed ferret Elizabeth Ann, whose original version has been dead for over 30 years. Them's is good eating. North America's only ferret species, the black-footed ferret, also known as the prairie dog hunter, has been long thought to be extinct when in 1981, seven species were found on a Wyoming ranch. After one of them, Willa, died in 1988, scientists sent her tissues to a frozen zoo run by San Diego Zoo Global that maintains cells for more than 1,100 species and subspecies worldwide. They were hoping that someday they can perform an experiment like they have just done today. The cute little ferret arrived via C-section on December 10th and became the first ever cloned endangered U.S. species. While a domesticated ferret carried the cloned embryo, the new ferret, which is being raised at a Fish and Wildlife Service black-footed ferret breeding facility in Fort Collins, Colorado, as all the instincts and aggression of her wild ancestors. It's Jurassic Park, everybody, but with ferrets. We're all just code. <laughs> We're all just code, everybody. They're bringing back the ferrets. Black I wonder if they can bring back the white rhino. Indeed they could. Well, Anything, it says, eventually. It says right here in the last paragraph, Jurassic Park slowly coming true before our eyes. Scientists are very close to cloning the mammoth and other long extinct species. So the idea may not be that far-fetched. Of course, fears of unintended no, consequences is such cases are valid, but especially if you've seen Jurassic Park. But as for animals like the dodo or the Tasmanian tiger that went extinct because of our irresponsibility and not because of a change in their ecosystem or climate, the scientists say the benefits of raising the dead outweigh the drawbacks. T-Rex, anybody? <laughs> India's Watergate moment is the headline from foreignpolicy.com. A journalist hacked by Pegasus says he will survive, but India's democracy may not. Workers in India's Congress party protest against the BJ, the BJ party. 
BJP-led government and Indian Prime Minister Modi alleged surveillance operations using Pegasus Fireware in New Delhi. Congratulations. That is the most common message of support I received from friends and well-wishers after the July 18 news that my name was featured in a list of journalists whose cell phones had been targeted by Israeli military-grade spyware Pegasus. I had known since June that I was on the list. My friend and colleague Siddhartha Varadarajan, uh, co-founder of India's independent news portal The Wire, one of 17 global media partners of the worldwide investigation, was somber when he first informed me. After I agreed to cooperate with the investigation, my device was checked by Amnesty International. They found that my cell phone had been infiltrated by Pegasus and the leaked data investigation provided by the Paris-based story. Anyway, the headline is India's Watergate moment, as they are saying um, that uh, Modi is uh, has committed perjury. Or no, what's what's the what's what's the charge? Not perjury. Um, Treason. Treason. There you go. To be continued. He might have a a bright future as a water painter. So China to extend mass vaccination programs to minors aged 12 to 17. According to China Daily, a number of provinces, regions, and municipalities across China have announced that they will phase in COVID-19 vaccination for minors aged between 12 and 17. Driven by COVID death, U.S. life expectancy dropped 1.5 years in 2020. By the Washington Post, driven uh, the decline, which is the largest seen in a single year since World War II, reflects the pandemic's sustained toll on Americans. So, Charles, let me just also add to that. So, since the pandemic, uh, the testosterone level of uh, men between 18 to 25 in the U.S. is the same as the 65-year-old, uh, you know, in the 2000. And the second thing is the, sorry, the third thing is that the youth unemployment amongst men uh, between age 18 to 25, um, it's uh, 35% now in, uh, in U.S., um, you know, after the pandemic. Uh, compared to China, it's already flat, and most of the countries are, you know, working on their youth. So, there's something massive... Um, things going so, on in the US uh, with a younger younger uh, population. I, I, I'll push back on that, Karen. I'd like to see some data about the testosterone level stuff. I mean, I've, I, you, you've link. heard some anecdotal stuff around it, but how are they doing mass testing? We can't even do mass testing for COVID. How are we doing mass testing for testosterone, right? And so, no, I, I think what it is, I think, sorry, the, the general sense there is that the population decline and people are not having sex anymore. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I think that's it's among that thing. And there was a research done by Mike, I'll just uh, forward to the you know, Twitter space. Okay. They've done a massive uh, uh, research where it shows that the age uh, between 18 to 25, the testosterone level is the same as a 67 year old male in, uh, in 2000. Um, so it's, it's quite a you know, stark research. Oh, that's interesting. So I, I, I mean, was, again, yeah. uh, the, 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 this study specifically that, that, that Tyler's referring to, you know, the, the, bigger, the, the reason why they were mentioning World War I was uh, was largely because this was, uh, again, a large loss of life. And according to the CDC uh, and the data that they had, you know, uh, seen, the, the, the sad part about this is uh, that most of this, uh, you know, that it was much, much starkly different. Life expectancy dropped by nearly two years for men and about one year for women. But more importantly, in my opinion, the disparity between the races, I don't know, Tyler, if you saw that, but Hispanic Americans, uh, the the life expectancy drop was three years. Black 
uh, life expectancy drop was nearly three years, whereas white life expectancy drop was about 14 months. And so, you know, we all we've all known about the disparities that have occurred during this pandemic in the U.S. itself. And uh, partially it's it's access and partially it's disinformation in certain communities around vaccines. Um, and it's just been it's just awful to, to see this, that, you know, that this actually and, and to keep in mind also that this is you know, life expectancy is actually showing us some aspect of it. But, you know, the reason why World War II overall was three years was because the people that were dying were young, young people, right? Here, you know, most of the people that are dying are above the age of 65. And so you can just imagine if this disease affected young people, where we would be as a country based on our current behavior. And so it's just, uh, yeah, uh, I tweeted this out as well. It's, it's just a really sad story. Okay, next, well, kind of related headline that um, facing a fall, and this is from Reuters, uh, from Iran, facing a fall in fertility rates, Iran has launched a state-approved matchmaking app to promote marriages. Kind of relate, semi-related, China uh, now has a tax break uh, for having kids under three years old. You get to qualify now for some kind of additional financial benefit, as was predicted here. Uh, that when the China uh, declining birth rate data was announced, the first comment I made is they're going to have to actually incentivize people to have kids because just letting them have the ability to do it, they're not going to do it. You need to actually give them an incentive to do it. And now they are. And now Iran's come up with their own incentive of a state approved matchmaking app to promote marriages. And I, I will say then the U.S. also, you know, you might have seen all the TikTok stuff about the child tax credit. We're seeing it all over, even in the U.S. now uh, with the CARES Act, with the child tax credit. I think a lot of a lot of people are thinking about having babies. Uh, and so it's it's a it, I, I guess it's happening all over the world. But the thing is, Tyler, it's not I think um, this is more of a sinister ploy here. Look, Iran is a very radically Islamic country. You know, this is a country that women can't even go, you know, go out of the I mean, let's not go into detail around that. But the point is here that suddenly here you have an Iranian government publicly you know, uh, giving access to something which is online dating, which is something kind of loathed within that kind of the, the culture, the religious values that they, you know, uh, portraying within the country, right? So I think there's more sinister to this. I think it's more about data than it's about, you know, population decline. And it's about they're doing something. It's, uh, uh, they realize the power of getting all these young people into these, uh, you know, platforms and you know, seeing certain behaviors. And there's something going on around that. I don't think this is to do with the, you know, population decline and, uh, uh, Iran is a very ruthless when it comes to religious values and Sharia laws and all of that kind of stuff. So this is something breaking completely. You know, Saudi Arabia, it took about how many years to get women to start driving? Think about this. And, you know, Iranian, Iranians suddenly, apparently, they realize that, sorry, population is declining. You know what? You can have an online dating. It just makes no fucking sense. I think they, they probably need help dating. I think a lot of places are needing help dating now. I like kid, people. And... and, and- I don't. I don't. Like, there, 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 there might there might be additional kind of a layer to it, but the, the it, it makes sense on the face of it. They have a decline so, in birth so, rate, and the state realizes that's an economic problem. They need to have future kids, or they're going to economically. They understand that's a big problem, and it is. It's called a terminal demography. When you have too many young people and too many old people, which they do, it's unsustainable. They need to do something is, quick. Tyler, it's it's a it's not as big Tyler, of a problem in the U.S. where you can immigrate people. Nobody's immigrating to Iran. They have to breed more babies. It's, it's, the Australia is, Tyler, can import people. America can import people. London can import people all day long. Iran cannot. No one's going to move to Iran. 
but the thing, but the thing is, Tyler, if they really want to sort this problem out, they don't need to provide a kind of app, a dating app. They just need to empower the women, put them into a better working places, you know, change the rules around, you know, no, how women that, have access. In, to certain fa- in fact, it's exactly the opposite. The, exactly. What happens is, is as women get more power and more freedom, they stop having, they have less and less kids. Yep. That is so, so just to give, just to give a little bit more of a perspective from like, as a Muslim myself, just wanted to bring this up because I have a lot of friends that are going through this in the Muslim community. And so it's not just an Iran issue, Karen, like no, um, across the it's world. It's a global issue. In general. It's yeah. a global issue because the way that Muslims meet is at congregate settings. You don't do one-on-one dating like you do in a lot of other cultures. And so, you know, group dating and group meetups have become extremely difficult in the middle of a pandemic. And so you're seeing this huge crisis. You know, I have a lot of friends that are in Dubai right now. They're really struggling, you know, and, and some of them are, are you know, uh, like uh, geriatric millennials, as we, they would call themselves. And, you know, they're, they're sort of, you know, uh, at, the, at the age where, you know, uh, in the Muslim community, marriage tends to happen a little bit earlier. And so, you know, uh, I, I will tell you, me and, me and my wife are doing a lot of matchmaking right now because it's becoming, you know, helping others because they are really struggling. The general places, the general events, even going to the mosque and meeting somebody, you know, in after hours events, like all of that is gone. So I don't I don't want to say that Iran is not a sinister, ha, does not have, have uh, you know, sinister intentions, who knows? But, you know, what I do want to say is that this is actually a huge issue specifically in communities uh, like Muslim community where, where dating, uh, online dating is not as common. And so this is sort of opening that door. And I think it's possibly a good thing considering how difficult it has been for people during the pandemic, single people during the pandemic, especially in that community. So I do want to give them some credit. But yeah, this is a huge, if you talk to any Muslim, young Muslim uh, men or women that are practicing, this has been a huge issue in the middle of a pandemic, at least a, a point. This is actually a really interesting thing that I, I actually um, I did a like a really quick room on because um, the the issues. So the, the topic was actually about um, problems that successful women have in uh, dating, marrying and having kids. And there's like so much going against women um, that uh, it, the more you're educated, the, 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 the more your options shrink in terms of your dating pool. And the problem also is that your, your prime um, earning years coincide almost exactly with your prime childbearing years, right? And so part of it is that in the U.S. particularly, but in many Western nations, not, not all of them, clearly there are some that are doing a great job, including Scandinavia, but most of them just do not account for um, the cost, uh, at least in the U.S. particularly, but they don't account for the cost and time of child rearing. And it falls so much on women that, you know, women are hit with not only are you not earning, uh, earning as much during those years, you don't hit those peak earning years, but also you are the one that is expected to take on the childbearing effort, right? So it falls so much on women that um, the, the, the issue is really, um, first, because women earn less uh, in the U.S. particularly, they, um, they're usually the ones of a partnered pair to, uh, to stop working. Um, but then they can't get back in. And then because they're parents, they earn less. So it's a, just a continual vicious cycle 
that earning le- like they're going to constantly keep earning less because the cycle reinforces only men staying in the workplace and continuing to earn money. And it makes some accommodations for men to deal with uh, family issues, but it makes no accommodations for the day-to-day childcare issues and for, you know, children getting sick, which if you have kids, you know, they're basically just walking Petri dishes and, you know, they all infect each other. And eventually you're like, well, this cycle has to stop. Somebody has to stay home from school, but many parents can't. And, you know, the more at the same time we're saying, you know, women can do everything. Women should go and work and and go and, you know, be these these, you know, power creatures or whatever. But at the same time, we're not giving them any support. We're not giving women any support in terms of, um, you know, maternal and paternal uh, leave. Like I think in some um, like some Scandinavian countries, you get like a year and they'll give you support. There isn't um, a financial support at all for for um, for childcare. There's no federally mandated childcare. The movement in childcare is actually going towards this idea of putting childcare um, in association with um, with companies, right? But of course, that requires that somebody state is employed, employed at a company, employed at a company that has this childcare option. Um, and the childcare option is satisfactory and, and somehow governed by some sort of, um, of, of uh, um, mandate other than just the state rules that have this child to teacher ratio. So um, there's a lot of problems in general with the way, like, we can't tell people have more babies and then punish them for having babies. Like, that's basically the system we have now. It's very punitive. So, and it's, it doesn't really allow for people to do that. This is incidentally why you see women as the largest group by far. The 60% of small um, enterprises are run by women. Why? Because they need the flexibility, not the fewer hours. But what businesses are they opening? They're opening service-based businesses, which is essentially like buying yourself a job, right? They're very difficult to scale and they're very difficult to sell. So there's not really an exit strategy and they're not getting funding. So they're kind of stuck in these roles where, you know, if you have kids, you're kind of stuck and forced into this position where you have to choose between actually earning and, you know, using your brain in the feed, which a lot of us prefer to do. Um, and, and then moving into some sort of position where you're either selling your time, which as we all know, is like, you know, the worst way to be an, to be an entrepreneur um, and still trying to maintain your household where, you know, 90% of household responsibilities do fall on women. And that's why the pandemic has been so hard on women, because women have had to take over, not just, you know, maintaining their whatever work they have, often they had to drop their work and then take on education, which they're not, they're not schooled in. So it's a big problem. So Puyan just joined the stage from Iran. Can I just, he, he was can the, I speak on this yeah, real one, quick? One just, second. Yeah, Chris, yeah. you can, but I just want to introduce Puyan from Iran, who was, had his hand up because he wanted to chime in. He says, um, uh, you know, he needs to correct a few of the assumptions here. Go ahead, Chris. So thank you for saying this, Alexandra. I'm, um, I'm consciously a stay at home dad. Um, my wife is at a, you know, a biotech and she's a high performing um, manager. And we had children very late in life. And I consciously decided I'm going to watch my kids. And it's this lack of um, support that we're continually butting up against, you know, for her, for us, in the last four years, my wife has been off uh, roughly three years because we've had three kids in four years. And um, she's seeing now there's a new job coming up. And guess what? She's, she's getting thrown into the role. 
but now there's competition coming in like uh, people that need to have a landing spot in their career before they move on. And we're getting fucking pissed because I'm start, I'm, I have a startup right now and I'm telling her like, you know, if they dick you over this time, tell them the fuck off. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a real and problem. I know somebody. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And it's like, and it's like, and, and I'm this like circus freak because I, I, I take my kids and I'm a, active dad i take them to classes every day uh, mommy and me I, I swallowed my pride and just do the mommy and me i don't care what they call it you know i want my kids to have a good base i was a latchkey kid growing up and this is so important to me and and like you know they'll they'll compliment me they'll hold doors open and meanwhile there's a lady walking right behind me with four kids and i'll say hey look i really appreciate the heads up and like you appreciating me as a dad but you just let that woman with four kids walk by like she's furniture you know, like as a furniture could walk. Right. And it's like, this is the double standard we live in. Right. And, and so that's why for me as a CEO of a company, I believe firmly is going to go public. I'm fucking making sure everyone knows I'm a father first, that this is a journey that book that two or, or more people that, that want to raise children are on and that we need full support from not only the, the spouses, but from other layers of society. Um, whether it be government or people just acknowledging that being a parent is the hardest job I've ever had. I'm, I'm running the CEO of a startup. I have like 10 experts. They, they easily could be the CEO of the company. And this is very challenging. But I would trade a day of, of watching my kids to a day of, of, of being CEO any day. Like all the stresses of it, I'd much rather. You hear it going on right now. I'm going nuts. See you guys. So Chris, it's a great point that you raised. Look, I got three kids. And I, I'm, one of the things that is I'm from a cultural background. So I'm from Sri Lanka. I was raised up in a... In a, in, a, in a culture where we've been told that it takes a village to raise a child, right? So, you know, I ended up in London uh, uh, very young. And then when I got married at 30 and, you know, my wife was a dentist, but I told her next 12 years, I want you to make sure you stay home. I'll do whatever it takes to work hard and spend time with my kids so that the first walk, the first smile, all of this, you know, stuff that is so important, you know, in, in a kid's growing up, it's, you know, we get to, one of us get to enjoy it, right? And that is a hard shit when you live in a Western world because Western world, you know, we've been, you know, they, they just quickly wanted to get back on the system so that we can, we can start paying the tax. So it's, it's a very difficult. So when I told about this, when I talked about this Iranian, you know, dating, Iran, Iran is also a very cultural, you know, country where a lot of the women are expected to do the household chores and they have an extended family to support all of that stuff, right? So unless you sort that extended layer out, it's very difficult to preach to, you know, if you have three kids or two kids, you know, try to raise in a, in a Western society, trying to give them the best version of life, which is time. Time is the most precious thing you can give it to a child. Nothing else. Not the iPad, not the TikTok, not the Instagram. It's the time of a parent that you can give. That is something that the, 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 the system that we built it wants to take it away from you as much as possible from your child. And hence, we are dealing with all these mental illnesses and how the you know, kids are growing up, uh, you know, all the shit that we are seeing in the world, right? So it's, unless you sort that layer out, it's very difficult to preach to the Western world, go on out there, have some lot of ch you know, children. Uh, it, it's a it's a very slippery slope right now. It's, it's, okay. it's a lot of serious thank issues. That you. Kieran, thank you. Uh, uh, the uh, your person from Iran that uh, jumped up on stage um, wanted to make a comment, so I just want to make sure we get the local perspective. Where did they go? Puyan, sure. welcome. Yeah, I'm here, Tyler. Hey. Yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks, Tyler, for inviting me on stage. I was actually listening to the topic and I talked maybe, I mean, there are like some of the stuff that are based, of, based on assumptions. And so before, before I actually like, you know, start to, you know, like explaining, like, you know, what is going on, you know, in Iran about like, you know, about these apps, all this stuff. I'm actually an Iranian who have like, you know, moved to like Denmark and I've been in Denmark for like about five years or so due to like, you know, these recent, you know, uh, 
like uh, like uh, financial crisis and stuff. And many Iranians, you know, have been like you know immigrating out of Iran due to like you know these like financial you know uh, reasons. And in addition to that, also to like you know uh, 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 there are also you know some uh, like many like you know. Uh, uh, like restrictions enforced by the government. So these stuff, you know, make people, you know, to move out of the country. So about this app, this app is basically, as far as I know, is, is built by, uh, by a company that is owned by someone who is a relative of the, uh, of the Supreme Real Leader. And that's why I think that the, the comment from, I, I don't remember who, who made the comment. Friend. Uh, that comment about like you know data like you know uh, like analyzing data all these stuff people think it is all about that so the government has just it's not the government it's about the the supreme leader who has made this like the, uh, the who has supported this app and made this app to just you know gather information right. about people as much as they can and nobody actually trusted them because Iran is not actually unlike what you know what what most people you know think about Iran Iran is not a religious country it's, it's about like 10 to 20 percent of people who are like, you know, like, you know, religious people, like more than like 70 to 80 percent of people are not. And that's why people like date online and like even like, you know, uh, gather like, you know, gather out together or even like go on one on one dating, like similar to other places. But the government wants to enforce people, you know, uh, to to have some sort of like China like, you know, uh, uh, like, you know, uh, internet, uh, to build like some sort of like China-like, you know, in, like restricted internet and to enforce people to lose their, to use their applications to just you not know, get as much as information they can from people, to just control them and not to like, you know, allow them to do stuff. And this is just one of, one of the applications they have built. They have actually tried actually to build uh, like more other like applications similar to that, but nobody actually uses them mm. because everybody knows what, what why they're like they're out there. Wow, <clears throat> wow, there you go. It's, there you go. That's the data issue. The the supreme issue data. Thank you for clarifying, Puyan. And indeed, for those who don't know, uh, during the revolution, a lot of Persians moved to Scandinavia, as Puyan clearly did into Denmark. Many of my dearest friends in Sweden are in fact Persians. And they've become in, uh, very uh, disproportionately successful in the startup ecosystem as well. Uh, although not much, it's same in LA as well. A lot of the LA entrepreneurs, the successful entrepreneurs are Persians as well. A lot of Persians went to Los Angeles in Beverly Hills during the revolution as well. It's my neighborhood. <laughs> Little Tehran, Tehranjalis. No, it's but it's true. I mean, and true. also the Persian Jewish community is super, Huge. super big, Huge. super strong here. My dearest friend uh, Jason is a Persian fun. Jew and sold his company to Intuit. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really funny because I never knew so much about Sephardic Jews as I did since you know I moved to this area of Los Angeles, because I mean I'm Ashkenazi, so a European Jew. Um, who by way of South America for generations, but we're still not Sephardic. And so it's just very interesting when we have joint celebrations, like we're like, you do what? You know, like it's really, um, <laughs> it's, it, but it, there's like some definite divergence, but, but, um, but it's really, it's a very strong mix here. Yep. And it's really nice, actually. I mean, you have, you have Israeli secular Jews and Persian religious Jews all going to preschools together. And it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, in in Beverly Hills, yeah, they kind of it's all it's all a nice mix. On the topic of Iran, 
there's another headline <laughs> that Kieran shared from Financial Times. Uh, with and the, the headline is a quote of the subject of the article, and the quote is, I have nothing to lose anymore. That's the headline from Financial Times. I have nothing to lose anymore. Iranians protest over water shortages. Demonstrations follow dissent after power cuts uh, and pose challenge for incoming President uh, Raisi. As the, the water's gone down to such a level that the hydroelectric dams are not able to make power. And so now, and the farmers no longer have water for their crops. So you're running out of water and power and food. And that's why power, water is so important because if you lose water, you lose power and food. If you lose food, you still have water and power. If you lose power, you, and you and still have food and water. If and you Iran, lose water, Iran, you lose all. Exactly with COVID too. And the thing is, Tyler, what is people are distracted by? Oh yes, Iranians uh, uh, putting a dating up there so everyone can date. What is what is a distraction? This is what people are talking about. It, and, and there's a fundamentally this pandemic. What is done is that in a lot of the emerging market countries, and especially in also some of the Middle East, it's really dire. A lot of youth unemployment. There's no jobs. People are on the street and there's so much shit going on. Again, you know, you see the climate change, the water shortage. It's happening in Sri Lanka. The food prices are, people can't even afford to buy a bag of rice. And they, you know, they can't even get a job. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of stuff going on, uh, Tyler, well, there's, around there's the world. There's incredibly heavy sanctions as well on, on Iran at the issue. It's, uh, you know. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's more, more than, you know, it's a, it's a complex issue when you start getting into U.S. sanctions on countries. So, um the other interesting headlines, I have a whole bunch to go through. Let's blast through a whole bunch of them. Feel free to jump in with your thoughts or other headlines of your own. But to start things off, a French app called Yuka brings people power to the supermarket aisle in the in the form of uh, a, it's kind of a camera app that scans QR codes and shows you a startup that grades products, nutritional value and environmental impact just by scanning the QR code on the box called Yuka. I love this idea. So just tweeted that out to the Tech News Twitter account. And I'm going to tweet out all of these next 50 articles, one after another, 30 seconds each, to the Tech News Twitter account at T-N-A-T-W. You can see it in my photo above my head. That's the Twitter account. Go there, and I'm going to be sharing all these links right now in real time as I read them. So the next one is that Grab, which is the big Southeast Asian delivery company, partners with Adyen, my payment fintech friends from the Netherlands, who sponsor my events, thank God, God bless you guys over at Adyen, and to offer buy now, pay later on Grab. Merchants will now be able to offer pay later payment methods at checkout for Grab. So when you want real-time 15-minute delivery goods, you can now buy now, pay later through a partnership of Grab and Adyen. Kind of cool. Next one up, Peloton, which is the incredibly popular exercise bike, although quite expensive, exercise bike which has this really huge beautiful screen like a double-sized ipad with content on the screen they also now do treadmills with a with also a big you know 27 inch screen peloton stock is climbing now on on a fitness program agreement with united healthcare and this is very interesting and peloton with the bikes and the treadmills with the data and the content is becoming a very interesting company because of all of the content possibilities, all the data possibilities, all the med tech possibilities, and that's why the stock is climbing. 
Um, India records more than 4,300 black fungus deaths, according to the BBC. The normally rare infection has a 50% mortality rate and is hitting recovering COVID-19 patients while their immune systems have, you know, are kind of in shock. And uh, now you've got black fungus deaths, 4,300 black fungus deaths in India so far. Employee mental health platform called Olivia raises 2.2, you know, a little seed round. And the the point here is that these um, employee mental health platforms are going to explode. That's an easy way to raise money from investors right now, because uh, bringing data around your employees and their mental health, that's huge, huge opportunity. U.S. workforce injuries caused by heat severely undercounted study shows, according to The Guardian, U.S. workplace injuries caused by by using a narrow definition of heat-related injuries, federal and state agencies miss thousands of others. And that's why they're undercounted. And that's from The Guardian. I just tweeted that out. And men cause more climate emissions than women, a study finds. Both spend similar amounts of money, but men use cars much more. Swedish analysis shows from The Guardian. Tweeted out at TNATW. Now from Wired... The next COVID-19 battle will be about vaccinating kids. Pfizer and Moderna are midway through clinical trials, and the public health system is well-versed in delivering childhood shots. The challenge? Politics. Indeed. It's going to be tricky. Although, I, should, I mean, it's, it's such a kids. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Kids often get all kinds of vaccines when they're young. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Now, 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 here's a here's a here's an article. Uh, dozens of new viruses discovered in 15,000 year old glacier ice. Scientists have dis- collected viruses from almost 15,000 year old ice samples taken from glaciers in the Tibetan ta- ta- Plateau. Dozens of species were found uh, hidden under the glacier ice, which are now melting. Good times. Lots of new viruses. Oh, boy. Tesla's 500-mile-range semi-truck hits critical production milestone. After years of waiting, the Tesla semi-production will reportedly take place at a facility within close proximity to its gigafactory in Nevada, which makes sense because their competitors are making lots of progress, like Ironride out of Sweden is making tremendous progress, so about time Tesla caught up. Sea snot is choking. Turkey's waters could be a warning to the world. And I read this entire article. It's truly fascinating. Uh, One scientist says the slimy mess suffocating life in the Marmara Sea could be replicated along overburdened U.S. coastlines if action isn't taken. This is due to climate change. You have to see the photo in the cover of this story that I just tweeted out because um, this sea snot, as it's called, is a result of the warming waters and any kind of pollution, and it causes this, um, not bacteria, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, gosh, what are they called? Let's let's open the article here. The, what's the word? Sea's not. Uh, the fungi, right? Algae, algae. Yeah, it's like an algae. Phytoplankton is what it is. It's phytoplankton, and it creates a slime known as mucilage which is more commonly referred to as sea snot, and open the article and look through the photos, and Turkey is freaking out about what to do about this. Um, 
it's a huge issue. And it's going to be coming to other areas in the near future. And it's quite terrifying. So uh, California farmers scramble for fresh water at taps as wells run dry. The severe drought across the western U.S. is already causing long-term problems exacerbated by the warming atmosphere driven by climate change, according to PBS.org. And a virtual human studio, a startup behind digital horse racing service called Zed Run, raises $20 million um, from Andreessen Horowitz, if I recall correctly. Yes, Andreessen Horowitz invests in startup behind virtual horse racing which uh, highlights investors' appetite for companies exploring the intersection of entertainment, gaming, or gambling, and NFTs. It's kind of a wild new idea. And Russia is launching a new module for the International Space Station. Russia's Nauka science module is blasting off to the International Space Station after more than a decade of delays. And 200 people uh, in 27 U.S. states are being monitored for possible exposure to monkeypox after they had been in contact with an infected individual in Texas, I recall. Uh, While the number of possible contacts is large, no additional cases of the rare disease have been detected so far. It has a 50% mortality rate and leaves a very unsightly scarring all over the infected individual. And um, let's pray to God we don't have a monkeypox pandemic. Jesus Christ. Floods in China kill at least 25 as military blast dams to uh, deal with the flooding waters. China's military has blasted a dam to release flood waters, threatening one of its most heavily populated provinces as the death toll in widespread flooding rose to at least 25. Meet the water witches of California. That's right. It's time to bring in the water witches. We're running out of water. Call in the water witches with their cute little sticks to help us find water. The demand for non-scientific water finding services shows the desperation of farmers during the deepening drought. For those who don't know, this is from the New York Times. For those who don't know what a water witch is, it's a person who claims to be able to find water under the ground using two sticks. And they hold them in their hands. And when the two sticks cross... That's where there's water. And they believe it to be an old an old technique that can find water deep under the land with these magic sticks. And that's, they're using them now in California. That's a sign of desperation indeed when you've got to call in the water witches. So next article, it's so hot in Dubai, the government is paying scientists to make it rain. The scientists are starting storms by zapping clouds with electricity. And it works, and it's raining. And they're dealing with 50 cc temperatures there in Dubai. AI-powered translations could replace or could reduce the use of English. Because if everything can be translated into English through apps in real time, there's no need to keep translating everything into English in local countries. They can use their local languages, and everything will be translated into English for the people who need it. So it's from Fast Company. Technology can help us all overcome language inequalities uh, around the globe by helping everyone access information in their native languages. Google Maps can now show New Yorkers how busy individual subway cars are. So when the train pulls up, if you're using Google Maps, it will tell you which car in the train has the most and the least amount of people in real time. Because they've got the data. Because everyone's got Android phones on those trains. 
They could have done it a long time ago. Jack Ma likely to reap 7x returns in the Paytm IPO. And Warren Buffett gets a 3x, 300% return. Among the selling shareholders, including investment firms run by Jack Ma, Warren Buffett, and many others as Paytm, India's biggest fintech, uh, goes to IPO. And Chinese car maker unveils the world's cheapest electric car starting at less than $9,000. Well, there's cars at $4,500 in China. And this looks like that car, the Wuling. And now there's a really cool video of the entire inside of the car. And is this the Wuling? No, I can't quite tell. But you can read the article. It looks like a Wuling. looks like a nicer version of a Wuling. And this one says it's starting a little over 8000 which is not at all the world's cheapest electric car. China has cars half that price called Wuling at 4500 So yeah, It looks different. Yeah, it, it does different. look different. So Mashable, your headline that says Chinese car maker unveils the world's cheapest electric car starting less than $9,000. Do us a favor and do a little more homework on the topic of Chinese electric cars before you write a headline that's just super obviously false to anybody that knows this area at all, that there's cars half that price in China. But keep keep trying, Mashable. Meet the immigrant entrepreneurs who raised $350 million to rethink U.S. primary care is the headline about carbon health, which is uh, just raised a whole bunch of money and it indeed is exploding as uh, med tech is hot, super hot area. You're going to continue to see tons of med tech companies raising tons of money and ed tech companies and delivery companies, and payment companies, fintech companies. It's raining money. There's more unicorns than ever. More incredible amount of, it's never been easier to do a startup. They're giving away money to people with half good ideas. So as Disco shares jumps, CEO says software is coming to the legal sector because uh, the legal sector is doesn't have enough tech. It's got a lot of people who know nothing about tech and they're going to get wiped out by people who know how to use data. So the, the geeks and the data companies have just found a whole new area to disrupt and take over and bring all of their data and analysis and tricks and tools to the legal sector. And they're gonna wipe them out just like they do to FinTech and they, they did to media and to movies and to music and everything else. So Pegasus saw- Huh? Oh, sorry. It's sorry. but. Um, but it's it's not quite the same with law. Um, there's a lot of, of technology that's in law in the legal field already. A lot of it does literally the exact same thing. Um, most of it isn't actually functional. It's, it serve, it's in two main parts. One is stuff to help lawyers and one is stuff to supplant lawyers. And neither one really works that well. The problem is that law varies so much state to state and even uh, municipality to municipality. It doesn't scale well, which is why you have to get uh, licensed in every state, which actually sucks for people like me who thought that they would be able to have like an international career that doesn't really work in, you know, state based. It's a law that ties you to a particular jurisdiction. But the um, the other problem is most of these companies, as we've seen, right, um, in tech companies, especially fintech and anything dealing with possible, hu like, huge amounts of liability, 
all they're really designed to do is to con conduct a transaction, but not take on the liability or responsibility for being wrong. Um, and that is a big problem because that's really what law is, right? It's not just attributing um, incorrect actions or processes to other people. It's actually being responsible for doing it themselves. I tell people that you know, if you want an opinion, it's not the opinion that matters. It's that it's on, you know, it's from an attorney who's got malpractice insurance, right? That's basically what you're going to collect on if something goes wrong. But none of these, te these uh, tech um, companies see, like a lot of them have never practiced in law. You get a lot of people who are like, um, you know, one or two years or no years out of law school and they want to start a company and they think law, law school prepares you for anything about law. Ha 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 ha. No, it doesn't. It doesn't prepare you for anything for in law. So it people who come in and don't really understand what the practice of law is like, um, and then try to create technology that's supposed to supplant the practice of law that is changing very rapidly in a lot of different areas, especially as you cross jurisdictions. I think there's a, a much better way to approach technology and law. And none of the companies that are really either looking to augment law um, or to supplant law, um, none of them are really approaching it in any reasonable manner. And probably, again, it's because they don't really understand what lawyers really need. And lawyers tend to really suck at articulating what they need, because for whatever reason, most lawyers really feel like if they tell people uh, what they really do, suddenly they won't be valuable anymore and then they'll be poor. I'm, I'm serious. That's actually the train of thought. It's really sad, but it's really true. I practiced for a long time and I know a lot of people in it. And it's a it's like one of the like uh, the, the massive amount of um, of. Uh, aggressive insecurity. <laughs> it's really incredible. I could do a whole room on just what, you know, the whole psychology of practicing law and how it makes people work really, really hard um, for people who are, other people are collecting the money on it. Um, but again, the, the whole problem with, with legal tech right now is that it really isn't based in anything that is actually needed by clients or attorneys. So this just needs a lot of help. We just need to replace the, the entire system and have digital courts like here in Clubhouse where we can solve this arbitration and just fuck the original system. Just like Bitcoin isn't trying to solve a problem for banks. We're just going to go around it. We're going to take your existing system and push it into the ocean. That's how it's going to happen. But that's, but that's the problem also in blockchain is you have people like it's a very anarchic group of people who start it. And the whole the whole um, area is very like, fuck the lawyers, fuck the police until something goes wrong. Right. Until, you you know, someone steals your money and you're like, please, please, feds, I know I hate you, but please go collect my colonial uh, pipeline ransom, you know, or somebody doesn't uh, gives you or somebody either steals something from your wallet or gives you something that's actually faulty. And then you're like, uh Oh, you know, didn't you agree or whatever? Well, no, actually, no. Didn't we agree? No contracts on here. And that's how we get copy minting and we get um, sleep minting and things like that. There's and double minting. There's all sorts of problems that happen. Um, and that's all, it's all stuff because people want to work around law, but haven't yet figured out a better way to resolve problems other than having rules, rules. But they that kind of figure it out by hitting the wall, right? So that's happened to, so I'm just thinking long-term, you, 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 
That's that's exactly. And how do you figure out the issues? You, that's that, that's what I love about entrepreneurship. And I know in that moment, everything you've said is right in this moment, right? But the fact that you've got a, a thousand ants trying to figure it out in different places, and then with new technologies being thrown at it, and then new ideas like the one uh, Tyler just put out there uh, thrown at it, the experimentation leads to. But you, the reason why I say this is I see it maybe not as complicated an industry, but everyone always says their industry is the most complicated. Everyone, right? They, because they're in it, right? And, they, and and there's a whole vested interest to keep it as it is. Because there that's you go. The system and that's, grew, that's right? why China has replaced them with AIs. They have AI courts. But, but for sure. Yeah, and for sure, um, you know, law is not the most complicated field and it doesn't have the biggest risk attached to it. Like that, for me, is medicine, right? Because if you screw up, someone dies. So I think that is the most liability rich, um, you know, intense, complicated area because people don't can't tell you what's wrong with them. You've got to figure it out when you can't actually just like open them up like a car and then try and figure out what's going wrong. And when you can't, they get mad. So, um, but anyway, but the thing with the laws, yes, you're right. It's true that right now, um, you know, this is a problem, but like, like yesterday I did a drop, um, uh, an NFT, an NFT drop and it was unique because what, the thing that I look at and talk about all the time is like the platforms are flawed and it's problematic to drop NFTs. So instead of saying junk, the whole thing, like, like, you know, let's go around it. I put agreements in that fill holes. That's it. Like, that's like, okay, until we move to the next um, iteration where these things can be solved, let's try and manually jerry rig whatever we can and say, okay, this doesn't account for some rights transfers that should happen but don't or some, you know, representations that should be made but aren't. And in order for us to do that, like even the language is wrong. There should there's no such thing as a sale with a royalty. That's like I, you know, I sell somebody land, they build a house on it and then I should get future income because I sold them the property. It doesn't make any sense. So um, you know, there's like lots of just flawed things and it's people like hurrying and running to do stuff. And that's great. The, the bigger problem really isn't that people are trying to innovate. The problem is they're trying to innovate without anybody looking at the potential problems that might happen and trying to figure out quick solutions that can be sort of cut and pasted until they could be brought in for the next iteration. Like that's that's really a problem is here. You know, in Clubhouse, we get these beta versions of various things and we're like, ah, that's shitty. But you know what? It's like functional, sort of. And then we tell them this isn't functional. And then another iteration comes out. And there's some sort of fear either in law or in, you know, community, probably both, that having this sort of not perfect but cut and pasted solution that fills a hole is better than just leaving the hole as it is. It doesn't have to be either perfect or, you know, or like just leave the problem and let people get screwed. We can have some middle ground and then that's a note so that as new platforms evolve, they'll take that into account and then say, hey, why don't we bake this into our, our tokens? Yay. And then a new problem will happen and we'll be like, oh, crap. Okay, we'll cut and paste a solution for that. And then when that, you know, as, as it continues to evolve, then we continue to just, you know, bake into the solution, bake in the problems into the solutions, and then we find new ones and we fix it. And I just think that's that's a very, I think, entrepreneurial way to approach things, which is you're constantly trying to innovate. Solutions may not be perfect the first time you hit them, but it's good that they're there and people are trying and that should be worth something. 
Ford. Uh, you know, we read an article when we met last time about seven hours ago that um, Lyft and Uber drivers were uh, staging protests uh, in many cities across the U.S., like Miami and Austin. And then the very next article was that Lyft is getting 1,000 um, automated vehicles from Ford, kind of uh, very ironically. And now it's being revealed that Lyft is getting, and, and Ford's ro robo-taxis are arriving late this year. And the company that they partner with is called Argo AI. And now it's being revealed that Lyft is getting an equity stake in Argo AI, these autonomous vehicles, which are, they're getting a thousand of those vehicles on the Lyft network. And thank you to Messi for helping us fill that in. Lyft will, pro Lyft will provide Argo with data in exchange. Oh, that's interesting. So Argo is getting some of Lyft's data and in exchange, they get a 2.5% equity in Argo, the autonomous vehicles. Really interesting. That's very clever. Very clever of Lyft to do that. So they didn't have to create their own autonomous cars. They partner with a car company and they share the data. Very clever. Um, large swaths of China's Henan province were underwater with its capital hit hardest. And we've been talking about this flood in China. And now Cheryl found the best video I've seen yet of what's really going on there. And it shows the flooding and the subway tunnels and everything else. You really get a sense of what's going on there. Thank you for finding that, Cheryl. And Zoom joins the growing list of companies entering the video game scene. First, Netflix announced in the past few days they were getting into video games. And then Peloton in the past few days announced they're getting into video games. And now Zoom is getting in on the video game craze. So we've got Netflix and Peloton and now Zoom all getting into video games. And Ethos uh, is a startup, an insurance tech startup that provides life insurance and the benefits of life insurance more accessible to customers through its big data platform and secures $100 million at a $2.7 billion valuation. And that's another area where the tech companies just can't wait to bring their data and analysis and analytics and beat the living shit out of those old school dinosaur insurance companies. It's not going to be pretty. That's going to be an absolute cakewalk. Um, a giant NFT treasure hunt in Paris is underway. And I just tweeted out the link um, to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. As citizens of Paris who can run around Paris and find these hidden Easter egg NFTs in the physical world. Kind of a very clever art um, idea. And uh, the biggest news coming out of the Olympics is not any athlete or sport. It's the bear hunt. Pandemic saw residents confined to their homes in an effort to beat back the illness, leading to the animals venturing out into spaces to search for food that would usually be populated with humans. Police said, uh, yeah, the latest threat to the Tokyo Games is an elusive brown bear. The police said the bear has not yet been located despite an extensive search. So keep your eyes on the lookout for a big bear cruising the streets of Tokyo. Hokkaido, no? Maybe Hokkaido, because there's supposed to be Tokyo Marathon, I mean, Marathon in Hokkaido. Oh, as for the marathon? That makes sense, because there's no bears anywhere near yeah. Tokyo. That would be yeah. crazy. Uh, that, that, yeah. So I have a news just Funny, in Tyler. But... Um, so many news websites are offline in Germany, including the largest newspaper, BILD. Say again? Can you speak louder, please? Um, um, many news websites are offline in Germany. Ah. It's just in, and uh, including the largest newspaper, BILD. 
Any idea why? Uh, no, I'm just uh, searching why. It's just happening right now? Okay. okay. Yeah. Good. Thanks for that. Pegasus spyware. I'm just getting perspective Hold on there, Dan. The, Hold uh... on. Dan, Pegasus okay. spyware. Illegal surveillance not possible in India, says new IT minister. The minister was refuting reports on use of spyware to hack into phones of journalists. Whatever he says, it's not possible. Well, it is possible, and that's why you're going to have a shit going down. Go ahead, Dan. Oh, yeah, I was just going to perspective on the, the flooding you mentioned is that this is not just flooding. Uh, some some of these places, it's been more more rain than ever, than ever. And uh, that tells you, you know, it's caused by climate. But there was actually a recent uh, a peer-reviewed study published, which was very quick, after the heat dome in the Pacific Northwest. And they concluded that it was impossible to happen without climate change. And even with climate change, it was actually quite improbable. But uh, that it's very unusual to have uh, attribution studies like that so quickly. So, you know, it's just it's just to tell everybody that we, we know what it's about. You kind of know in your gut what it's caused by. But it's actually scientifically shown that this kind of stuff would not happen if it wasn't for climate change. So uh, quite interesting in that regard. Thanks. Okay. Next up, we've got from Gareth. Snapchat says AR is becoming part of the shopping norm as predicted we're gonna have a it's not only it's gonna be the biggest thing to happen to humans in their lifetimes is this ar shopping is gonna be wildly huge uh here's a quote i think social platforms are a better place to find out about new products than searching online and that's true already 35 percent of shoppers think that social platforms are a better place to find out new products versus searching online rising to 68% of Snapchat users. Social platforms have an advantage in facilitating discovery of online marketplaces over online marketplaces as they provide more visual and serendipitous inspiration. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah. And then you can see the data. as They did this based on generational, where they ask the question, uh, do you think social platforms are a better place to find out about new products than searching online? And um, basically, people on Snapchat overwhelmingly said yes. Uh, baby boomers disagreed. <laughs> Only 3% agree. And then the younger they got, the more they agree that uh, social networks is a better place for shopping, which makes a lot of sense. Younger people uh, tend to have a head start on these things. So Malaysia airports, skyports, and volocopter collaboration to conduct a feasibility test of EVTOLs. And what that's, that means, vertical ta- electric vertical takeoff and landing. And Volocopter is one of the leaders in a vertical takeoff and landing. And we had the chairman of Volocopter join us here in Tech News Around the World about two weeks ago. And uh, indeed, the future looks very bright for these vertical takeoff and landing electric vehicles, which will uh, hopefully get people around towns uh, much more efficiently, not just people, but also um um, products and goods. So next one up is Daimler, the maker of Mercedes-Benz, slashes car sales outlooks as chips erase Mercedes growth due to the big global chip shortage, as we talk about regularly here. And Grimes, otherwise known as uh, Elon Musk's partner and a fantastic uh, musical artist in her own right, and Will I Am to judge the Avatar singing competition known as Alter Ego, which is a new kind of twist on American Idol or X Factor, but done with kind of 
hologram avatars competing, which are obviously powered by engineers. And that's going to be really interesting to see. I can't wait to see that. China pressures Pakistan after losing nine engineers in a bus attack uh, in the Khyber Pass up near the massive hydroelectric dam that China's building in the northern part of Pakistan. And there was a big bomb that knocked a bus down into a ravine down in, down near the water, near the dam, which I took the time to get onto Google Maps and find the dam and um, watch a lot of YouTube videos of all of the footage. And indeed, China is worried that they're being targeted by terrorists. And Beijing postpones their Belt and Road meeting and halts work on the $4 billion dam and has asked Pakistan to severely punish whoever might have instigated this, and they're pausing um, the work on the dam in the meantime. Well, they don't really have a choice because their engineers were just blown to bits. So, um, yeah, indeed, they're going to pause work on that dam. So, the yeah, we talked about the ferret brought back to life. Ex-military cyber experts to take game-changing $1.5 billion startup public. And the point here is that people who work in the public space, meaning intelligence agencies like the CIA and FBI and whatever, if they are truly skilled at what they do, they now realize they could probably make a lot more money taking their skills into the private space of having a company like an S-Corp or a C-Corp or an LLC. And indeed they can. And indeed Pegasus did. <laughs> and that's one of the articles going around. Is that in fact... Tyler, yes? Justin on Pegasus, huh? um, French president... French President Macron, yeah. um, he changed his mobile number amid the pe uh, Pegasus spyware scandal, Justin. And uh, he also says, by the way, changing your phone number and number is the only way to get rid of military-grade zero-click Pegasus spy malware. Even a hardware reset does not scrap it. Right. Uh, hey, Tyler, yeah. I just wanted to give some context behind the Pakistan-China thing. Sure. Uh, so I'm ethnically Pakistani. Yeah. And, um, and so what people don't know and this is super important, actually, in terms of local politics, as you know, uh, uh, you know, so China actually uh, formed a partnership with Pakistan on the Dasu hydropower project. People don't know this, but this was a 60 billion dollar project. Now, in Pakistan, 60 billion dollars is a lot of money. And this is the CPEC, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. Um, and what's what's really interesting is a lot of. Pakistanis were excited about, obviously, the new jobs and the business, but a lot of Pakistanis were also very upset because of, as you know, a lot of Pakistanis are against the treatment of the Uyghur Muslims. And the current prime minister, Imran Khan, who is actually up for re-election, <laughs> uh, really did this as a way of shit saying, hey, I'm bringing jobs to Pakistan, but then completely switched his stance on the Uyghur Muslim issue. And so, uh, you know, this is a huge blow. I'm telling you, in terms of the political shakeup of Pakistani politics in general, this is a huge blow to Imran Khan. Because if China, and China did, as you, as you mentioned, it wasn't just, I don't want to say Indian propaganda, but we all know that both sides play the same game. They try to make things seem bigger than they are. But in the midst of, of uh, you know, formidable opponents, I don't know if people know this, but Benazir Bhutto's son is actually running, and Nawaz Sharif's daughter is running. So, you know, formal, former prime ministers uh, and, and uh, you know, with, with significant backing from two large parties are running against Imran Khan. So it's a, this is 
a really developing story. And the reason why this is important to the world and to the tech industry is Pakistan is actually having sort of a renaissance right now in tech uh, and a renaissance around infrastructure um, and building out with all this foreign money pouring in. And um, we're seeing the rise of two nationalist parties, uh, the PPP and the Muslim League. And it's fascinating of what this means for the unicorn status. There's two companies right now in Pakistan that are on track right now for unicorn status. And um, I, I wonder what this means overall for Pakistan as it plays with the, you know, with China and again for its neighbors in India, because if China continues uh, to build that relationship with Pakistan, it does affect India quite significantly. Yeah. China, Tencent buys you again. Okay. Thank you for that. More headlines. Google Lens coming to desktop Chrome as new integration image search tool. It's a significant expansion. Google is bringing its lens visual search tool to the desktop web via the Chrome browser. And next article, CRISPR has been used to modify the genes of tomatoes, humans, and just about everything in between. An albino opossum proves CRISPR works for marsupials. Their complex reproduction has made it hard for scientists to apply the gene editing tool until now. And so I just tweeted that article out from the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW, as I am with all of these. And Flipkart is the massive uh, e-commerce company in India. And now Flipkart has their app that everyone uses. And the Flipkart app is now offering shoppers a camera option with AR. Because we're going into AR shopping, folks. It's not coming slowly. It's happening every day, hour by hour. This offer would help shoppers to imagine and experience what a product would look like in reality. It's, this is coming fast and furious because they've done the tests and they find out when they give this option to users, they buy more shit. So it's worth billions of dollars to them to turn it on. So they are racing each other to turn this on inside of every e-commerce app. And that's why Flipkart has now added AR to their shopping app because they are a catalog of millions of products. And now you can hold your camera up and in your house and see what that new lamp would look like in your living room or that table in your living room or that refrigerator in your kitchen or that fan on your desk or that those shoes in your closet or on your feet. And when you see it, you're much more likely to buy it. They've done the A-B tests. They already know the outcome. You're more likely to buy. So we're rushing headfirst into AR shopping in a huge, huge way. And it's super, super cool if you've not yet had the opportunity to play with it. But you will very soon. A systematic failure. Vaccine misinformation remains rampant on Facebook, experts say. This is from The Guardian. In the UK, uh, misinformation super spreader accounts found still active even as vaccination rates flag uh, and cases rise in the US. And drone photos reveal the shocking truth of California's parched landscapes from the LA Times. And go ahead and have a look at these incredibly dystopian photos of uh, invisible lakes or lakes that used to be lakes that are no longer lakes as they've all gone dry. They're going dry. They're going dry. The lakes are going dry. And Elon Musk says all EVs will be allowed to use Tesla's supercharger network soon. Uh, wealthiest rocket enthusiast tweets that Tesla will share its charging hubs. What a fantastic, nice guy, that Elon guy. And from Poppy, technology unicorns are growing at a record clip, as I just said about 20 minutes ago. The venture capital boom is a risk for investors, 
uh, and a gift for everyone else, according to The Economist. And indeed, technology unicorns are growing at a record clip, absolutely booming, shattering all records, and will do for the foreseeable future, especially during COVID. Asian food delivery giant Food Panda has become the largest target of a boycott by pro-democracy protests in Thailand after declaring it would fire a rider who had participated in a protest using the term terrorism in connection with the rally. And we happen to have a friend from Grab, who's a competitor to Food Panda, who came in here and we got all deep into, oh, Jay's on stage right now. And when we met here 10 or so hours ago, we jumped into this story and it's very complex as all stories around Thai Thai politics are. Uh, and Food Panda ended up uh, walking back their statement and apparently are not going to fire this individual after all. They were facing a very large protest inside of Thailand for firing this individual that was caught in a photo trying to light on fire an effigy of the king himself, which is, holy cow, is that political dynamite? So we're not even going to touch that with a 50-foot pole. Jeff Bezos awards Jose Andres $100 million for his courage and civility. According to the Washington Post, chef and humanitarian Jose Andres plans to use the award to advance his work of his charity called World Central Kitchen. And an influencer makes $250,000 after selling her love to an unknown bidder. The Beatles once famously said, can't buy me love, but that may not be true as an influencer has claimed to be the first person to sell virtual love for $250,000. What the heck is going on? Let's see here. It says Polish influencer Marty Renty has sold her love in the form of an NFT. There you go. Now it all makes sense. There, there it is, Cal. We were all confused about this NFT stuff, <laughs> but boy, does it make sense now. You sell your love. Is it there? That's how you do it, Cal. Why didn't I've got plenty of that? Why did we not of think of this? I'm kicking myself. <laughs> I could have sold my love in the form of an NFT for a staggering price of two hundred fifty thousand dollars, but the one of a kind digital asset is not the only thing the buyer has purchased. Oh boy. <laughs> The 21-year-old influencer has also promised to go on a virtual date with the buyer in the physical world. Yesterday, I sold my first NFT for an incredible amount. I won't tell you how much because I don't believe in it myself. I don't know how who bought them yet. Brent, if it's you, thank you. And indeed, no doubt it was probably her sister who then gave the money right back to her. And it's a marketing scam and we fell for it. And this influencer is truly a master uh, social ha- media <laughs> hacker. Possibly. Yep. My goodness. Not even no possibility about it. That's what. That's how these things happen. So Nikkei Asia, thank you, Cheryl, for this one. Beijing has ramped up pressure on Islamabad po- postponing the high-level joint committee for the Belt and Road Initiative and halting a billion-dollar hydro project uh, plant, as uh, Donish and us just discussed. And China's Tencent buys UK video games developer Sumo as uh, for $900 million pounds, so about a billion dollars. And indeed, ten- China's Tencent is the world's biggest uh, video game force uh, at the moment. Although Stockholm uh, has uh, now a roll-up uh, private equity play, which is ag- arguably bigger in many instances. Uh, Apple reportedly replacing the iPhone mini with a cheaper pro model. Thank you to Mahogany for this one. That's coming from Gizmodo. You can read all about it. It says, all iPhones released next year will be 5G. As the company looks to boost sales of a product that still accounts for more than half of its revenue. I didn't know that. 
Apple was a latecomer to the 5G race, but now they're going all in on the next model of phones. And the Pentagon is bolstering its AI systems by hacking itself. A new red team will try to anticipate and thwart attacks on machine learning programs. And this indeed is how big, big companies and and outfits like the Pentagon do self-penetration testing. And they even hire people to penetrate them. I know that sounds like... Um, um, kind of prostitution, but it's not. It's like, <laughs> uh, the the top 100 companies in the world, U.S. and everywhere, Evan sent this one in, showing a map of where all the big companies are. And YouTube to pilot test shopping from live streams with select creators from Nalormi, and we did cover that indeed. And the U.S. life expectancy has the biggest fall since World War II amid COVID. Thank you, Mahogany. We did cover that one. And broke Tyler. Yes. So sorry to no, break your flow, but it looks like Vanguard is down and F- Fidelity is down and Schwab is down, Chase is down and Bank of America. So I just happened to check the Twitter trend. Breaking now. news. Yeah, I don't yeah, see any legitimate articles, but it's trending. And um, yeah, I'm trying to figure it out. Kind of a frightening prospect to think that all of these banks and um trading companies are simultaneously down in the u.s that's wild so we had in germany some of the media companies right safe um yes it started with media but then major websites now too and then it says it's a dns issue okay it's a dns issue and then lakeisha how did you find out that the these big financial companies are down I just pulled up U.S. trends and saw that Fidelity is trending 16 right six in the 16th position. Yeah, and just a bunch of random people are talking about this is how this it's is down this is getting I'm... really weird because we did not have these types of outages. You know, in the past 10 years, these were very infrequent, and in the past oh, six months, I... they're happening quite a lot more frequently. The last time it happened was October 16th, when, uh, 2016, when uh, the Deadman switch was rumored to be, have uh, triggered. By Safe, we, we cannot hear you. You, you're, you sound like you're on a $1 microphone. Um, you're talking about so the sorry. internet outage, right? So Delta Airlines, British Airlines, Capital One, GoDaddy, Vanguard, UPS, LastPass, AT&T, and Costco were among the websites loading sl- slowly and showing DNS failure. All right now? Schwab. And Chase and Bank of America as well. Weird. Okay. Well, let's let's end on that very suspenseful note. To be continued, we will meet again tomorrow at Tech News Around the World. So thank you to everybody for joining us. And uh, have a very wonderful Thursday, wherever you have to be. Oh, yeah. And Ben's got a room open, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go join us in the Artificial Intelligence Weekly News. We will see you all over there. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.